Welcome in to the Out of the Box podcast. We are getting oh so close to the mayhem, but have we already seen it from this past weekend? I don't know. We're going to talk about it all on a new episode of the show. Gray Robertson alongside sort of my partner, Tom Canterbury, due to all of the travel issues, which we can discuss. Uh, we are doing this remotely over Zoom. Tom, again, continues to have a family. That means responsibilities as well. So, Tom, you've got a lot going on. Have you recovered from the odyssey that was mm. the ride home? Not, not entirely. We're looking probably at early bedtime here this evening. But, yeah, the, uh, the team, after salvaging a game on Sunday of that series and College Station, had our uh, plane, our, our flights canceled and uh, ended up having to make a 10-hour, two-day odyssey via bus to get back to Tuscaloosa. So um, it was an early morning, but we, we are finally back. Everybody's ready to go, just in time to get on a bus tomorrow, heading up to Western Kentucky. So fun week, fun week. <laughs> Listeners, I hope you can appreciate what Tom is doing, staying awake <laughs> and recording this podcast. We've got so much that we're going to discuss. Here's your trip around the bases. We will, of course, How was your weekend, Greg? Oh, well, we'll talk about that at the plate. Oh, boy. This is not the same podcast tonally as it was last week. Some of the goals have been taken away, not necessarily mathematically, but realistically. Um, Some honestly haven't changed, and we'll talk about that more, uh, certainly at the plate and then also later on in the show, Tom. Frustrating, disappointing weekend all the way around, but not something you can't bounce back from and still achieve most of the goals you still had in front of you. We will advance to first and look at why some of at least a couple of the goals have changed, mainly Arkansas doing what they did this weekend in Gainesville. We'll look around the rest of the SEC, of course, FGCL corner. Then we will steal second time. It is a party in the Zoom room with our friends from in the circle, Eric Lopez and Victor Anderson, prior to pressing play. Lots of wrestling jokes that just right over my head. Right over the head. That's okay. We will then round third and give my bracketology, which has been updated as of tonight, but will not include Missouri-Kentucky, which, by the way, we're recording out of order. Missouri is just smacking the Wildcats around right now on Monday night softball time, which is a surprise. Yeah, so Missouri going to get things right right back in the groove just in time to come to Susclusa for the last weekend of the season. So, yay. Perfect timing. We love you, Larissa, but Lord. Mm, Then we will head home. We've got picks, which – Honestly, disaster. A disaster just, weekend for Gray and Tom. Just overall, just let's forget last week happened, I think, at this point. In every way. We've also, of course, got Tom's Hungry. And, you know, typically after rough weekends, we don't do off the wall because a lot of the points are valid. But still, there are some who rise above the validity to be so off the wall that we even have to talk about it following a couple losses, Tom. Even a couple things that were not on social media, just general off-the-wallness. So, yeah. We'll get to that. But we will start at the plate and talk about what happened in College Station. What happened in College Station? Well, game one, A&M wins 6-4. As I said on the air, you know, a loss happens. You know, not ideal, not to the ideal team, but we know what A&M can do. It it shouldn't have been as surprising to people who follow the sport uh, as – uh, it might have been that AM was capable of winning that game. Game two came out of nowhere. A 9-1 win for the Aggies in five. Alabama was able to win game three, thankfully, four to two to, to salvage what could have been just an epically 
unfortunate and awful weekend, Tom. I mean, what, what do you think? What are your main takeaways? It's hard to feel speechless, but I'm, I'm kind of speechless about it because it just came out of nowhere. And we talked about it. I don't know if it was on air or off air, but this, the results this past weekend were more surprising to me than Florida State eliminating Alabama from the Women's College World Series last year. That was surprising because Alabama was playing so well and was at a point where they, Florida State had to beat them twice to eliminate them. But you knew Florida State had the talent to be able to do it. Um, they were able to get that done. Texas A&M, on paper, historically, statistically, this season, just up and down the roster, no reason for Texas A&M to have won that series. You can, you can say, yeah, one time, you know, anything can happen. But um, to win two, including a run rule game, I actually went through and did, I, I, making different record lists, I did a record list of Alabama in run rule games in all of program history, back to 1997. Alabama has only been run ruled 20 times, period, since mm. the program started 25 years ago, 20 times. Six of those happened in the first year of the program, 1997. Uh, since I've been doing the broadcasting play-by-play, which started in 2015, it's only happened five times. No way one of those five should have been Texas A&M this year. But they just they kind of got on a roll, and Alabama just kept making mistake after mistake, and they were uncharacteristic mistakes. You know, and that can happen. It can happen so fast in the in this conference, and that's you know, you can't give up. You can't give up a seven run inning. Yeah. That's for sure. The spiral happened, and it happened hard. And yeah. It, you can almost pinpoint why it happened. I don't think Lexi Kilfoyle pitched poorly. She wasn't getting the calls on the low pitches. She brought him up. A&M wasn't chasing, much to their credit. So she had to bring him up. And then they started pounding. And then they kept pounding and kept rolling and kept putting it in play and kept capitalizing on Alabama errors. And again, it was just another example, unfortunately, of this team not being able to find calm in the chaos. You know, it was like one bad thing happened and all of a sudden two, three, four bad things happen right after that. You know, we know that this team can bounce back across a game, but we haven't yet seen the capability in some areas to bounce back quickly when an inning gets out of control. Yeah, individual players have been able to do it, but the team as a whole just hasn't been able to in that scenario. And I think really the in the first two games especially, the difference in the games I think was offensive pitch recognition and and the way that they approached their at bats because like you said AM they did a better job of playing with what the strike zone was uh, the second game number two strike zone was not good but Alabama offensively wasn't able to make the adjustments to that strike zone and force AM to throw a lot of pitches they, they still went after a lot of pitches that probably would have been called balls and they weren't able to have any real success and AM did a better job of playing with that strike zone and another reason the weekend was a struggle, you know, last week we talked about how fun the new three, four, five in the order juggernaut was with Shipman, Dowling, and Tao. Well, those three players combined to go four for yeah. 26 with two RBI, Dowling, Shipman, and Tao. That's not going to cut it. You know, I, they are better. And only a couple of walks there too. Right. They are better than that. Uh, the, the ability is there. The want is there. Again, we, we talked with all the players it was just like the lid was on the basket. That's the only analogy I can keep coming up with. It's like no matter how many times you shoot, no matter how many times you want to make a three, it's not going down. Alabama, no matter how many in that bad adjustments they tried to make, no matter what changes they tried to do at the plate, 
it just wasn't working. And in particular, those three, Tao to a bit of a lesser extent, but those three just just couldn't quite put the ball in play where Alabama needed it. And the Tide missed a lot of chances because of that. Offensively, as far as AM was able to do, we talked about it. You know, you wanted you know, a lot of the game plan would have been, you know, try to keep Haley Lee from being the one to, to, to beat you and make the other eight do it. And the other eight had good weekends. Yeah. Um, so that they, they were able to accomplish that goal. All that being said, I thought it said a lot about this team that they came back on Sunday and got the win in another game where they didn't play just particularly really outstandingly, but they were able to get the job done. Ashley Prangy, Jenna Lord with home runs, Montana Fouts had to labor through a couple of times, but overall I thought she pitched pretty dang well on Sunday. And I thought the team as a whole showed a lot of heart to come back and win that game, game three. And kind of, you know, as we said, if you're going to lose the game, if you're going to lose a series, you want to win that last game. So you at least have a little bit of momentum. You can build and, and have that positivity moving forward. So not ideal, obviously, but Alabama getting that win in game three, I thought showed a lot about this team. Yeah, I do want to get to some of the positive things from the weekend, because if you think the weekend was a failure, then you weren't paying attention close enough because there were some good things that came out of it. You know, I, I will say, again, the the whole weekend came out of nowhere, but the positive in my eye is the whole weekend came out of nowhere. So I don't have any reason to believe that it's going to carry over into the Missouri series or into the Western Kentucky midweek coming up this Wednesday, which we're leaving for time in like 12 hours. Yeah. So, there's no reason for me to think that this is going to be a consistent issue after the LSU series, which I, I feel like is probably the most comparable Alabama came out and did pretty well following that, you know, hit well, uh, pitched well until game three against Kentucky, then went and swept South Carolina. So they bounced back from tough weekends before the timing is not ideal, but again, you know, the slump came out of nowhere. Another positive. I thought Megan Bloodworth had a fantastic weekend, you know, hit, 600 OBP was at 778. A lot of players were having trouble chasing Herzog's rise ball. Bloodworth did not have that problem. She was very confident and mature in the box. You know, I'd love to see her drive in a few more runs, but it's hard to do that when people aren't on base ahead of her. So I thought Megan Bloodworth was fantastic down in that middle of the order. And then I feel like finally we've got an answer for who should be leading off. And it's who we kind of thought should be as of a couple of weeks ago, and that's Ashley Prangy, Jenna Lord right behind, clearly worked this weekend. Those players combined for four RBIs. They both hit 400 on the series. You'll take that each and every day and each and every weekend. I think that, if anything, despite all the struggles, Patrick Murphy might have gotten the answers he was looking for for that top part of the lineup. Yeah, and so the question now just becomes, uh, do you leave Jenna Lord and right and, and continue and kind of – figure out things in DP wise, or do you leave her at DP and then give either cat grill or Savannah Woodard another chance? Cause uh, Woodard, I thought played pretty well when given the opportunity here this weekend. Yeah. Sav 500 OBP didn't have a hit, but only had technically one at bat. You know, it's interesting. I, I also am not sure how I feel about pulling the plug on the cat grill thing very quickly. You know, she didn't look good in game one, but I don't think that that necessarily should knock her out of that starting right field spot for the rest of the year. You know, again, I think that's a Patrick Murphy thing. There are a lot of fluid options. And uh, if you do not want Jenna Lord as the DP, if you want her in right field, then I think DP is full on wide open, whoever you want, Barnhart, Door, Woodard, Grill, not necessarily wide open because you've got a ton of options, but because somebody's got to go in there and earn it. 
And all of those players, while Woodard was the most effective, none of them had a hit this past weekend. So somebody's got to step up and claim that DP spot if Patrick Murphy's going to keep Jenna Lord out and right. And ultimately, and Dallas Goodnight has to, has to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, and that's just, it, it was a, another pretty tough weekend for the freshman. And she's so good, especially defensively, although she did have, have an error out in center field this weekend. But she's so good there. You you know, she's talent-wise, all of that thing. She should be in the lineup every day. But it, it's it's getting tough for her to be an automatic write-down for Patrick Murphy in the lineup right now until she figures out, you know, how to get on base consistently. I will add, you know, we talked about it in the game three lineup discussion. I had hoped that having her be on the bench and watch those first few innings would be kind of a wake-up call. I thought two of the best plate appearances she has had in weeks were when she came off the bench, where she had the slap hit, true. where mm-hmm. they were pretty long at-bats, and then she reached on the error, but it was, you know, it was kind of her speed that made that happen. I thought for the most part that that was a good sign for Dallas Goodnight. And I think Wednesday will be a good test against Western Kentucky to see if she can keep that going. Cause I, I do think she'll probably get the start because Patrick Murphy will want to see if she can keep building off of what was in my opinion, one of her better performances in conference play on Sunday, despite not having many chances. Yeah. This upcoming week, praise be to God. We've got a midweek at Western Kentucky and then nothing next weekend. And Tom, you've said this since the beginning, since we got the schedule, since we talked to Patrick Murphy about it in the offseason, you think that this break could be really good for this team. Obviously, we had no idea what the scenario would be going into it way back in February, but now I could not agree more with you. I need the break. You need the break. This team needs the break. We all need to just sit and not have to think about softball for like 48 hours, which I think is going to be good for everybody. Yeah, I, I agree. And I mean, one of the things that I looked at to wait to help me come up with the thought that this was going to be a good thing. If, you know, not have a non-conference series, just, just have a weekend off is going through and doing the Alabama records by date. And there, some of the, the tougher dates on the overall schedule that Alabama has faced has been toward the end of April. Some of the, the worst overall records on individual dates is at the end of April. So um, I just think it's a, you know, historic thing. It's something, it's just, you know, you, you plug away and you grind so hard through those first few months of the season. It's, I think, a great chance for Alabama to take that rest and gear themselves up for the postseason run to just have that weekend off. So I think schedule-wise, this is working out really well for Alabama. Totally agree. And also, you know, people sometimes forget in 2019 when Alabama won the SEC, second to last weekend, Tide lost a home series to Kentucky. It, there is kind of a thing this time of year. You know, some some matchups really feed into that. I think going on the road to a team that is hungry and had been oh so close. And by the way, every SEC series AM had played had been against ranked teams. So they have been through the juggernaut and they were just looking for any excuse to, to break through. Uh, I I think that it's good that Alabama's break is coming at this time. Now, that being said, you know, when I say don't think about softball, I mean, don't feel the pressure of having to perform for just a couple days, just have a couple days to breathe. I think that just having a couple days of not playing a game is going to be really nice and necessary for everybody involved. Yeah. Especially with the travel that has just happened. You know, the, yes. You know, spending 10 hours on the bus when you weren't expecting it, including having an overnight stay then taking a bus to Bowling Green for Western Kentucky's matchup. I, I know I'm kind of mentally drained after all that. I'm sure 
and I didn't play. So I'm sure the players are even more so, but hopefully they use this midweek game to, to stay sharp and, and try to, you know, figure a few things out, but then, you know, take, take those few days off to just re- to kind of recharge the batteries and get themselves set for that postseason run. Is there anything in particular that we want to touch on with the Western Kentucky game? I would say the one thing I do want to make sure that Alabama fans know Western Kentucky's not a, a pushover. All right. This is a team in conference USA that I believe after beating Marshall two out of three times this past weekend is now in first in the conference RPI of 43. This is like a pretty solid Hilltoppers team. So Alabama's not going to, you know, not going to roll in and, and be able to just do whatever they want and still win. They're going to have to play well. Yeah. I, I think ultimately it is good. This is going to be a lineup as though you're playing a conference game. I think you're going to see pretty much the starters, but in those spots where things are not hundred percent solidified now, say the right field, the DP spot, a few others where, you know, you may see somebody get a at bat or two and then make a switch just to give everybody more opportunities that could happen. But Alabama is going to have to put out their best effort to get the win here on, on Wednesday. Also, one more player that I want to mention. Uh, I'm I'm gonna need to see something on Wednesday from Jenna Johnson. It's been it's been far too long since we have seen her be that consistent player at the plate. She got close a couple times against AM, but now would be a great time to break through because you know, with Dallas Goodnight struggling more so than Jenna, you can't take both of them out. So, right. you know, right now Jenna's gotta be the one that steps up. And uh, I think that I think that she will. I actually off the field uh, in some other scenarios, I saw some really good leadership from Jenna that impressed me because I hadn't seen that side of her. I don't she's not one of the players that I really interact with much off the field, but on the field, I saw it too. off the field. I saw it. I think that I think that now would be a great time for Jenna to to really get it rolling again, because I know she wants it and I know she's close. Just got to break through. Yeah, I think in general, I think a lot of that has to do with what happened in game three was the leadership that was shown, I think, of, uh, of the team. This, a lot of the upperclassmen, I think, you know, off the field, like you said, and on the field on Sunday, uh, showed a lot of really good leadership. And that's, you know, when, when you have a couple of games like you had uh, to start off the weekend, you know, that, we said it on the air. It's not, this isn't about the coaches. This is the players have to, you know, they have to make their decision on, on what they want to do and, and how they want to respond. And I was really impressed with the leadership I saw this weekend as well. All right, Tom, let's put it in play. Oh, great. (laughs) You've got three choices, so pick one of them. Well, I'll go with the one that hit it over the scoreboard. Let's be Ashley Prangy. Prangy! Yes, (laughs) we can dot the I Mm -hmm. and then go to Alabama and advance to first. Next up, when we come back here on the Out of the Box podcast, Arkansas is going to win the SEC. And Shanice Dels is probably your SEC Pitcher of the Year. And it's amazing how quickly it happened. We'll talk about that, plus everything else happening in the conference, including literally as we record, is Kentucky getting run ruled again at home by Missouri? That's coming up next when we get back here on the Out of the Box podcast. first after we have prangied it right back up the middle and now Tom time to look elsewhere in the Southeastern Conference and we have to start with the most likely league champions I am saying this because the schedule could not be more favorable 
the next two hmm. weeks for the Arkansas Razorbacks. You've got South Carolina coming up, then a road trip to A&M, which they're not going to take lightly because, honestly, it's our fault. We, they just saw what A&M did to Alabama. So, goodness gracious, the Hogs are in a great position, and it's all time because of a sweep in Gainesville over Florida and a wonderful performance again from Shanice Dells twice in the circle that probably locked her up for SEC Pitcher of the Year. Just shocking. Absolutely stunning. Not that Arkansas won that series, but that Arkansas swept Florida. I mean, this was a team that Arkansas had a 30-game losing streak to before game one, and then the Razorbacks go into Gainesville and win three. I know Florida didn't have Hannah Adams, but even so, you know, this is even a weekend where they honored her and the other seniors in Gainesville. And for Arkansas to be able to go in there and to get that sweep, in some ways it kind of makes you feel better if you're an Alabama fan because even if you had taken care of your business at A&M, Arkansas might have, you know, taken care of their business enough to where it wouldn't have mattered anyway. But what an unbelievable performance by the Razorbacks. I could not be more impressed with what that offense is doing. And it's just like – Man, I mean, one through six, you know, you've got Sides, uh, who's having a, a wonderful season and looking real good in conference play. Gibson, Malkin, McEwen, you know, her average is improving. Taylor Ellsworth isn't hitting great in conference play, but basically every hit she has is driving in runs. In SEC play, 11 hits with 18 RBI. That's like stupid in terms of uh, run efficiency when she puts the ball in play. Uh, you've got Gamble. I mean, this Arkansas team. And what's impressive is this weekend against Florida, they found ways to win in a variety of ways. You know, they won by run rule early. Game two is a pitcher's duel, which, you know, Mary Half still not quite where she needs to be, which is probably the one cause for concern I have about the Hogs. But, you know, if it's a tight game, you just bring in Dels because she hasn't thrown very many innings this year because Half was getting most of them to start the season. And then, you know, Dels just on the booking games, her drop, which by all accounts on rally cap and, and various other places, she learned like a month ago is filthy. It's filthy. I mean, it is one of the most dastardly pitches I think I've ever seen. The movement is insane. I don't know how anybody hits it. This is an Arkansas team that, like I said last week, is in a better position to make a run in the postseason. And I think that this year they have absolutely 1,000% earned this most likely SEC championship because they played like the best team for the longest amount of time. Yeah, if you're an Alabama fan, you are frustrated that, that the schedule fell this year, that this is the time when Alabama and Arkansas didn't play, so you didn't have a chance to take care of the business yourself. Outside of that, Arkansas, you know, they they just ran through it. There's a, a schedule that was not as – favorable as it was last year for them you know it's kudos to them and like you said up and down the order um that they have really kind of rounded into shape here at the right time too so arkansas definitely a team to be reckoned with on not only winning the the conference title in the regular season but moving forward in the postseason let's talk about the other side the florida gators mm. man did they miss hannah adams because Skylar Wallace, again, by the way, you nailed it on the impact players in that series. Skylar Wallace did literally everything she could. Yeah. 
and everybody else was like, we are uninterested in helping impact this series. There were little moments, but there was not much in terms of consistency. Charlotte Eccles came up in a lot of big spots, in particular in game three, couldn't get it done. The pitching staff is is frankly quite average this year. There's there's nobody that they can rely to go complete. It is surprising. It is, if you're a Florida fan, I'm sure frustrating. And it's bottom line unlucky that Adams went out when she did because the rumor I keep hearing is that best case she comes back for the postseason. Well, Florida's got to, you know, got to win some of these regular season games to get into a good position to maybe host supers or to even, you know, be in a not terrible spot in the SEC tournament. Right now they would be seventh if a tournament started today. They drop one more spot. They have to win a game just to play Arkansas again, which – didn't go well this past weekend at home and it's the year that you don't want to do that if you're florida because you're hosting the tournament right so you know you thought you know entering the year we get to host a tournament we saw what alabama did last year when they hosted the tournament it's, it's not an automatic win obviously because the only two teams that have ever hosted and won are two alabama teams but you know you, you thought you had yourself in a good position as far as that goes uh but just not a not a great weekend at all i don't really know if Hannah Adams would have made that much of a difference this weekend. I mean, Arkansas was just, they were the better team all three games. There were a couple scenarios in the field. I think absolutely. Yes. I'm not sure how much her bat would have made a difference, but there were a couple scenarios, especially in game one, when they had Sam Rowe playing second base, which didn't work at all. Game three, there was an error by Sarah Longley over at short. That would have been Skylar Wallace if Hannah Adams weren't hurt. There were definitely some defensive situations where her absence was felt. Uh, offensively, though, again, good luck hitting that Dell's drop ball. I mean, goodness gracious. Let's move on. LSU takes two out of three from Georgia because, of course, why not? <laughs> and the scoring, Tom, off the charts. It was – and this is something we saw a lot of places this weekend in the conference – not many pitchers duels. It was quite the slugfest everywhere we played. Yeah. I mean, game one, LSU wins 8-1. Game two, 16-9. Georgia, after the dogs scored 12 in the first inning, just for fun, <laughs> and then almost blow it. And then game three, right. Georgia goes up 5-0. LSU scores nine unanswered to win 9-5. It's, it's amazing. Georgia did win the, win the game, but have a 12-run inning, and they didn't get a run rule. They had to play all seven and had the tying run at the plate at one point in the ball game too, did LSU. So it just kind of shows you that Georgia to a little lesser extent, but LSU, you just don't know what you're going to get from game to game. But if you get the good LSU, then they can beat almost anybody. Absolutely. I will say before we move on, the, the big concern for Georgia for me was that the losses were on the two Kerpix games. Now they were able yeah. to score and win with the other pitchers, quote unquote, in the circle in game two. But to lose the Kerpix games the way they did is concerning. You know, and and they gave up big innings. They didn't give her the run support in game one, but you know, she she didn't throw as well as she should have. It normally it's been the inverse, but this week, uh, this week showed what happens if Georgia isn't getting the good Madison Kerpix they need. They either lose with her in the circle or they have to score 16 runs when she's not. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of what we thought Georgia was going to be all year. We were a little bit surprised, or at least I was surprised that Kerpix had really emerged as a as an ace in the conference. But kind of thought Georgia was going to be one of those teams that was going to have to win Slugfest this year. And 
Um, that's what it ended up being this weekend. Let's move on to Starkville. Auburn takes two out of three from Mississippi State. I got that one right. Bada bing, bada boom. Right. Well done. Uh, you know, we, we got a couple. That's about it. But we yeah. got some. I had to get like just one of those to creep that closer. I don't really have much of a takeaway from this series. It kind of played out exactly like I thought. You know, the pitching in game one was good. Uh, both teams, Mississippi State more so, kind of saw it deteriorate as the series went on. Auburn was able to mash, especially in the latter part. Uh, Matty Pinto looked look solid in game three, but I don't know. I don't really have any major takeaways. Basically, these two teams were jostling to see who would be in the eight and nine position in the SEC standings. I think we really found out a whole lot about either one of the teams. Just they're they're kind of they're both pretty equal when, when it comes down to it. Middle of the pack to uh, so kind of showing that they're not really teams that are going to be in the top echelon of the SEC, but they're teams that can win if the right things go their way. But uh, playing each other, got about what we got. Let's move on. Ole Miss sweeps South Carolina. Well, there you go. South Carolina is not making the NCAA tournament. They're not. No. They're not good. Not good. They're not, and they go to Arkansas <laughs> this weekend. Right. Another reason why Arkansas has pretty much wrapped it up, just the schedule falling as it is. Literally, if South Carolina wins one of the games against Arkansas, it's almost equivalent to Pitt or Boston College beating Florida State. If, if South Carolina wins a game at Arkansas, I want to see people freaking out like when A&M beat Alabama because yes. that, to me, would be a like two times yeah. the shock. Much bigger upset. There is nothing anywhere, and we are fully statistical people. There is nothing that suggests South Carolina can even keep all three games from being a run rule against Arkansas. The pitching staff continues to struggle. The offense will have like one good inning, as we saw a couple times in the Ole Miss series, and then yeah. not be able to do much of anything the rest of the way, struggle against a new pitcher. And this is an Arkansas team that is going to mash, and they're going to hit Leah Powell, and they're going to hit Bailey Bettenball, and they're going to hit Kelsey O. And I just, I just don't see a world where South Carolina is able to find a way to win probably three games against Arkansas on the road and Kentucky at home. I just, I just don't see it. I don't see a world. They're not making the tournament this year. No. I mean, they'd have to make a run in the SEC tournament, maybe even if they did get a win or two in the, in the, in the regular season heading in. Not going to cut it. And inversely, we don't really learn anything about Ole Miss either because they just – they beat South Carolina. So, yeah, I will give Jamie Traxel squad credit. You know, as we talked about last week of the remaining series, this was the most winnable for South Carolina. Good job by Ole Miss not giving them that. You know, there were a couple that were tight, a couple that were pretty low scoring and two, one, three, nothing. You know, South Carolina had opportunities to win those games and Ole Miss didn't let them have it. And so good job by the Rebels doing what you're supposed to do against a team. That's not that great. There you go. Finally. It has just gone final in Lexington. In 2019, Tom, I want to, I want to take you back. Kentucky mm. was 6-0 and in the SEC, and we were looking around like, what in the heck? Then Missouri went on the road to sweep the Wildcats. Lo and behold, three years later, you know, give or take a couple months, Missouri, a team struggling, goes on the road to a Kentucky team with actually a lot to play for, and we'll get to that later. And sweeps, sweeps. Missouri is turning it on. And they're not going to have the resume 
to host, but they're slowly starting to look like the team we thought they could be. And if they keep playing like this, they can get out of whatever regional they get sent to. Yeah, they can be a very scary number two. And it may be that that personality and the team that Missouri is may be better, maybe better to be a scary two seed than a even a top eight national seed like they were last year uh, with expectations. So they'll go in somewhere without the expectations and maybe be able to, uh, to surprise some people. Because if they play like they did this weekend, because Kentucky in Lexington, not an easy place to play. A good team, they're a team that's right on that cusp of hosting as well. And to go on the road and get a sweep at this point in this conference against a team like that, really, really impressive by Missouri. And the issue for Kentucky, Tom, say it with me. Who's, Who's pitching? pitching? Who? Well, and whoever it was, they were giving up home runs all series long. And, and a lot of the times, not just who's pitching, but why? Why are this, is this person pitching? Why? Again, Kentucky's offense needed to hit better. I feel yeah. like they were kind of in the same boat as Alabama. They were facing a pitching staff that numerically isn't that strong, but played really well and threw really well. Missouri staff in particular, Weber, Jordan Weber, had a really good series. But that staff should not be doing what they did to Kentucky. The Wildcats needed to be better on offense, but at the same time, stop giving up home runs every inning. Right. Yeah. It's time for the FGCL corner, Tom. Are you ready Ooh, yes. to give out some hardware? What What happened? I really wasn't paying attention. I was busy either one, watching Alabama lose to Texas a or two, eating a taco. So what happened this weekend in the FGCL? Well, Tom, I'm going to be honest. I wasn't paying attention either. Because of the time of our games I and the way that the schedule was and the way, honestly, the series went, I didn't do the FGCL tracker on the weekend until last night. So I found out what everybody did all at once. And I found some interesting performances. Ooh, all right. Here Looking we go. Forward to it. All right. We've got, of course, our seven nominees. Tom will pick two finalists. I'll pick a winner, yada, yada. All right. Last week's winner, Paige Rao, Villanova. She's back. 14 innings, three hits, no runs, one walk, 14 strikeouts, but then also at the plate. Six for 13, an RBI, a double, two walks, two strikeouts, three runs scored. But back to the circle, had a no-hitter in game three against Providence. Providence, not good at all, but still. That's a no-hitter, and it's done by an FGCL pitcher. So that's making the list. Are, at this point, are we naming Paige Rao? Is she Tom Hanks to kind of go along with the uh, with the movie theme? Well, let's see. We've got Glenn Close. We've got Merrill. I'll think of somebody. I'll, I'll do some okay. Oscar research, but <laughs> Paige, you're getting close. Next up, Peyton Darnell, USC Upstate, 7 for 13, 7 RBI, 3 home runs, a double, 3 strikeouts, and 3 runs scored. Next up, Aaron McDonald, Wichita State. 11 and a third innings pitched, two hits, one run. It was earned, four walks, and 15 strikeouts. The earned run came against Kansas because in game three on the weekend against Memphis, Aaron McDonald threw a no-hitter. Oh, wow. Way to go. (laughs) And because Wichita State was playing Memphis, we've got another shocker on the list. Neely Herring. Six for nine, nine RBI, two home runs, a walk, a strikeout, and four runs scored. Good job, Neely. Riley Ludlam from Furman, four for 12, 
five RBI, a home run, a double two run scored in game one against Western Carolina, had a walk-off home run to win it 1-0. Good on Riley. Nia Morgan, Florida A&M, six for 12, six RBI, a triple, three doubles, a walk, a strikeout, and three runs scored. And finally, Kate Houston, Appalachian State, seven for 15, six RBI, two home runs, a double, three walks, four strikeouts, and five runs scored, was a part of Appalachian State's first ever win over Louisiana in game one of that series. She didn't have a great game one, but she was great the rest of the series. And congratulations to the Mountaineers and to Kate for a really good weekly performance. All right. Well, looking at those, some really good nominees, I am going to go with a our possible first repeat winner. I'll go Paige Rao. Again, a no-hitter, plus what she did at the plate. You definitely got to be a final two. And speaking of which, I'm going to go with the other pitcher that threw a no-hitter, Aaron McDonald from Wichita State is her two finalists. This is hard because there are a couple things that you could look at here. I think that throwing a no-hitter against Memphis is more difficult than doing it against Providence. But those pitching stats for Paige Rao, again, I'll read them, 14 innings, three hits, no runs, one walk, and 14 strikeouts. All of that was against Providence in game one and game three, and the no-hitter came in game three. Ergo, switch around. It's hard to no-hit a team who's already seen you. Lexi Kilfoyle did it, and now we know that Paige Rao did it. We've got our first repeat winner. Paige Rao is your FGCL Player of the Week. Wow. Another reason why she's Tom Hanks, winning back-to-back. <laughs> he did do that. Yes. With a scump in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's uh, good stuff. Oh, how did I know that? Never mind. All right. Back, gonna... back, back when I kind of paid attention a little bit to the Oscars. <laughs> Forrest Gump. Uh, the closest <laughs> Alabama's ever come to winning an Oscar. <laughs> Forrest Gump. I'm sure I'm sure he still holds a lot of the return records in Alabama football history. Look at that boy run. All right. Yes. Tom, it is time to head for a second. It's time to steal. It's time to put on the green light and take off with our speed. Are you ready mm-hmm. for it? Yes, ready to go. Quote unquote speed. When we come back, we will steal second with two gentlemen. Eric Lopez, Victor Anderson, they're here. It's time for the Out of the Box In the Circle crossover event. That is next as we continue on this episode of the Out of the Box podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. It is time to steal second. Ray Robertson and Tom Canterbury here. And as we move along through this very strange podcasting season that has seen shows move to random nights weeks canceled on end we've had all the movers and shakers coming around trying to figure out which week to slide everybody in we have finally made it to the crossover to the round table to the interview that isn't actually an interview it's just me asking questions and everybody chiming in it's time for the out of the box in the circle crossover event with our friends from the in the circle podcast Victor Anderson is here. Victor, hello. Hello, gentlemen. Greetings and salutations on a um, very interesting weekend of softball, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, it, interesting. That's that's a great word for it. Yeah, I'm being generous, gentlemen. Of course. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. Oh uh, yes. Do what I can. And do. not to uh, not to go full SNL host, but also Eric Lopez is here. Eric, hello. Hello. I'm just happy, Gray. You're not at a place where you're worried about getting kicked out of a hotel. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> We could talk as loud as we can. Yes. 
sometimes we'll see. <laughs> I, I do have some elderly neighbors, but the best part about when we all get together is I just have bullet points. I don't have questions. We don't go into any minutia. It's, it's not a one-sided thing. It is a full-on conversation. And just like last year, we're doing this roundtable style. I've got some questions. Tom, if you've got anything, please feel free to chime in. But we will start with the top 25 player of the year list, which came out last week. I know you two gentlemen had a lot of thoughts about it. And I wanted to look at it in a different way. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like we all assume at this point Jocelyn Allo is going to win player of the year. She's got the narrative. She's got the stats. But let's say it's an award for the most valuable player in college softball. Those are two very different things, in my opinion. Who would be your winner of that award? I will start with Eric Lopez. If we're just going MVP, not the best player, but just the most valuable player, to me, is Georgina Corrick of South Florida. Here's why. When Georgina Corrick pitches for South Florida, they are a two seed basically in the regional. They have seven wins against the top 50, four wins against the top 25 when she pitches. When she doesn't pitch, they are a bottom of the team in the America. They got run ruled by Tulsa over the weekend. Their ERA without her as a staff is over six. I, I, uh, to me, there's not a player that's more important to their team than she is to South Florida. I'm not saying she's the best pitcher in the sport. I'm not saying she's the player of the year. But I think from a value standpoint, you take her away from South Florida, they would probably be a bottom 20, bottom 30 team in the country. They would struggle to get wins. And with her, they're a threat to win a regional. That's how good they are. That's, there's no wider gap than a player in their team than she does. Victor. Same conference, but I'm going um, Addison Barnard from Wichita State. You look at her numbers in her first two seasons alone, and this year in particular, 26 home runs, 67 RBIs, 25 steals. She is on pace to become the first player ever to go 30-30 in college softball, which is remarkable that we're even saying that given all the grades that have played this sport. And oh, by the way, She's only recorded two airs and has had a 965 fielding percentage all year. I understand everyone talks about Sydney McKinney, rightfully so, but the real spark plug of a shocker offense who, if they're not shipped to Norman this year, could win a regional like Eric said with Georgina Corey with South Florida is Addie Barner from uh, Wichita State. We all hope and pray that mm. we don't get shipped to Norman. That's just our goal. That's, yeah, that's every goal. team's goal in America. Tom, yes. what's your pick? Uh, at the risk of being SEC centric, I am going to go same state as Eric did. I am going to go to Florida and I'm going to say Skylar Wallace. And I'm going to say that because one at this point with Hannah Adams being out, it's even more important, but you've had Charlotte Eccles, which has been, has had a very disappointing season. The lineup, not as good as it normally is at Florida. Plus they haven't had the elite pitching that they normally have either. So it's really the fact that she has been, I think, at best at the top of the order, but, you know, she's been able to do so much leads, I think still leads to the, the nation in steals. Um, I mean, that's, she has provided the offense something that if they didn't have, Florida might be a 500 team in this conference. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been tough going for the Florida Gators. Does anyone here think that they're going to have an All-American pitcher this year? Because I think the streak's coming to an end, right? That's, yeah. Yeah, probably uh, it will end. Yep, it will. My pick. Too much good talent. I agreed. 
My pick is based on all of the stat broadcasts that I have up. Tom knows, you know, when we're calling a game, I'll have (laughs) nine to 10 other games that we're tracking. We usually don't get to watch much of the Washington Huskies, but every time I click over to a Washington game, I see Bailey Klingler, RBI. I think the most valuable player to her team this year is Bailey Klingler because the Washington offense would not be much of anything without her. Now, I will say this past weekend you know, against Oregon, they got more RBI production from a lot of other people. A lot of other people stepped up outside of Klingler. So this pick might be a little dated, but I still think that without her, Washington would be in a very dire situation because while Gabby Plain, again, is starting to round more into form, the pitching staff, as has been the case the last couple of years, has been a question mark. No, I agree. That's a good pick. I would have her as my top three finalist for player of the year right now. I think she's that valuable. And I have, I'm one of the five people that has the Pac-12 network. So I've watched <laughs> a lot of those games you talk about and she has carried them when they were kind of were scuffling a little bit. Uh, so I, that's a good pick actually with, I think that's a fair pick. I was going to say the, uh, one of the things that we do on our podcast is we do landmine or gold mine at the beginning of the season. And we give out, each of us give out three, uh, predictions and we'll see how they, they turn out either landmine or goldmine. One of mine was, I think this year that four out of the eight teams that are in Oklahoma city will have not hosted their super regional round. So my question, and I'll start with Victor, who do you think right now is most primed to host a super regional, but not make it to Oklahoma city? Ooh, I, depending on what matchup they get, I would say Arkansas, simply because can Arkansas handle the expectations, possibly repeating as SEC champions, getting top eight national seed, and understanding what happened last year where they were the team that let Mike Andrea beat to get to his final Women's College World Series. And there'll be a lot of pressure, especially when you got Danielle Gibson, Hannah Gamble, that one-two pitching staff of the least in uh, Mary Half. Can Arkansas handle his expectations? But again, it all is going to be dependent on what matchup that they get in terms of who they face in Supers. What do you think, Eric? Northwestern, if they host, I think they're the team. In fact, I'm not even sure they can win their regional. They could be an upset regional team because they're going to probably get a stacked regional based on geography. Uh, Danielle Williams is good. They have a great offense, but I, I think that's a team that's probably going to draw an SEC team or a Pac-12 team on a Super Regional and that has been there, done that. Northwestern, we'll see if they can go deep. But I think that's a team that if they host uh, a Super Regional, they could get knocked off. Well, that's interesting, the Northwestern point, because I feel like they would kind of be in the same boat as a Kentucky, where if, if Daniel Williams and Regionals were to lose early, the pitching options behind are concerning based on what we've seen in, in Big Ten play. I'm going to go with a boomer bust pick. This team could win the national championship or they could get upset in regionals. And that's Florida State. Because of all of the results that we've seen this year, which losses have been the most puzzling? Florida State's in conference play. You know, Pitt, I was updating the bracketology numbers. Eric, I know you probably saw these numbers too. Pitt's now at 90 in the yeah. RPI. Yeah. Some of these Florida State losses are truly baffling. Now, to their credit, they get up for the big games. We saw that this weekend against Clemson. We've seen that all year long. Tom and I saw it firsthand in Tuscaloosa. But if a team catches them where they're kind of sleepwalking, I would not be shocked at all if Florida State's the kind of squad that 
falters early before OKC. And we have to remember they were, I believe, the four seed the year after they won the national championship and they got upset in Supers at home by Oklahoma State, made it the champ series last year. Could history repeat itself? I'm not going to pick it, but I could see the most potential there. Well, Florida State gets in trouble. They always have somebody call legal pitches on a number two pitcher and get them out of it. Oh, I'm sorry. Did oh, I go oh, there? Oh, I'm sorry. Too soon. Too soon. I, hey, said, nothing. I, I said nothing. <laughs> that was Victor. This is that was, this is yeah. an audio medium. That was right. Victor. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to say in the ACC with my pick, and I, I if they end up hosting a Super Regional, I think Duke is, is the team that, that could get eliminated because I still don't know how good they are. I'm not sure how – the numbers continue to spit them out as a top 10 team. Um, you know, they, they did lose to Syracuse. So I don't know what, where that kind of changed their ranking a little over bagatology. Significantly. Yeah. So, uh, but if they end up being a top eight seed, I think they're very primed one because they've never been there before. And two, I'm just not sure how good they are. Yeah, I'm on the same boat with Duke as well. Um, yeah. And I think everybody Tyler, in the country is. You've, talk, yeah. you've mentioned this. Nobody be- believes they're a top eight team. I think they're good. I actually don't think they're a lot to host just yet. They only have 11 wins against the top 50. Uh, you know, they need to kind of clean up some things, finish strong here to make sure they get to host. But yeah, I, I think we're all on the same page on Duke. You know what team's going to be really excited, I think, on Selection Sunday? If Duke hosts the team that would be matched with Duke for Supers. Which mm-hmm. I don't know, Eric, who you've got right now. I've got UCLA, and I think the Bruins would. Yes, oh. check, please. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> I have Arkansas paired up with them, so yeah, I, I think Arkansas would take that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, talk about talk about not being there before. <laughs> right. Arkansas exactly. would say we're, we're we're old hat at this compared right. to Duke. Uh, okay, the most surprising team in the country. Now, don't say most surprising in a bad way because there's another question coming up about that too. Most okay. surprising in a good way. Tom, you go first. This this is probably it's not the ones that a lot of people are thinking. My most surprising is Arkansas because I I I thought they were going to be middle of the pack in the conference. I thought they were going to take a setback, um, losing Autumn Storms. I did not see Dells coming in there and being possibly the pitcher of the of the year in the conference. Um, so they really surprised me that they were able to stay at the level they were and maybe even get it a little bit better, uh, this year. So it's, I, it's not, it's not one of those teams. I know there are some others that I know you guys are going to talk about, but again, me being a little bit sec centric, I'm going to say Arkansas. I want to go with Stanford out of the PAC 12. You look at what their pitching staff has done. They knocked off Arizona state. They knocked off UCLA. Well, granted, both of those series are home, but anytime you can beat the top two teams in a Pac-12, what Jessica Allister has done, going back to her alma mater, they got them in the regional final last year. They're going to be another tough out this year. So if you see Stanford as a 2C or a 3C, that's going to be a problem for you because they legitimately have three arms that can beat you on any given day. They have a lineup that is very deep, that could do a lot of things that Coach Allister wants to do with that offense. And I feel Stanford is... Given, yes, I understand they went to the regional final last year, but for them to be as a consistent top 25 team where they were a year ago and a lot more depth in pitching, I think Stanford is probably the biggest surprise this year for me. Eric, before I toss to you, I'll add in there. I think if Stanford were sent to the Fayetteville regional like they were last year, mm-hmm. the uh, the sirens could potentially be blaring. Yes. Yes. Just, just saying. Not not to say anything about Arkansas because we've already talked about that on the show. And I, I think they're going to win the conference. I think they're very good. But 
Stanford's a nightmare matchup. Stanford has Stanford has three different arms that all can do different things that can keep that lineup off balance for Arkansas. So very valid point, Greg. Valid point. Eric Lopez, you're up. Nebraska. Who had Nebraska before the year as a team that could be in the right now in the mix to win the Big Ten championship with Ronda Ravel? They're right there with Northwestern. They beat Michigan twice. You already before the year we're thinking Michigan, Michigan, Northwestern. It's been Nebraska that's been to me the surprise. They've been fantastic. Top twenty-five team. Uh, I, they have too many losses to be a, a host consideration, but I think they're going to be a strong two seed, probably going to Stillwater, and they're not going to be a pushover. They got good offense, Billy Andrews with Andrews and company. Uh, it, Ron Ravel's done a heck of a job there. Nebraska, to me, back in the NCAA tournament, back in the mix is, to me, the biggest surprise. Okay, I'm going to show a little FGCL favoritism. Georgia Tech. Yeah. Georgia Tech. I mean, what the heck? This is a team that lost Bree Roper, who was uh, certainly a perennial FGCL Player of the Week nominee last year. Uh, Blake Nelliman has been pitching incredible. Chandler Dennis has added to that pitching staff. Trisha Awald, just ridiculous power. This is a team that if we probably had another two months as opposed to just another month of data to collect, could work themselves into a hosting position. It's probably too late now. But right now, that RPI is sitting just outside the top 20, which is remarkable for a team that I thought was pretty average coming into the year. So they've they found something under Coach Morales. I firmly expect uh, that there's a very good possibility Georgia Tech could be coming to Tuscaloosa for regionals. And that is, to me, a very interesting matchup because they do a lot of mixing and matching with their pitching that I feel like could, in, in the right situation, whether it be Tuscaloosa or really anywhere, uh, proved to be a, a tough bit of competition for whoever's hosting that regional. Man, Gray's got his Georgia Tech Alabama winners bracket uh, material ready there. Tom. Ready to He's go. Ready. He, ready. I, well, good. That that make it easier for me when it all comes along. I don't have to watch any film on Blake Nelliman. I've already got her scouting report from the summer. Everything's great. So you're rooting for Georgia. You're you're just rooting for Georgia Tech. (laughs) You are rooting for the rambling red gray. (laughs) I am rooting for whatever makes postseason less hectic for me. Right. That's what that's all. And at the end of the day, that's all we want for broadcasters. A less hectic postseason. That's all we want. We want it to be very exciting everywhere else, except for where we're at for the most part. Um, Uh, yeah, when, when we have the uh, when we have the most surprising team positively, most disappointing team conf- in, in nationally. There's been a few that we really thought was going to be in the mix that have uh, really kind of fallen off. Uh, we'll start with Eric. Who do you think? Who's the most disappointing team in the comp- in, in the uh, in the nation? Going to stay in the Big Ten, Michigan. This was a team that I and many thought could be a team that could make it to Oklahoma City with Bobby and and Starocko and. They added Burkhardt from Carolina with Lexi Blair, and they just haven't been. They have not been in the mix here in the Big Ten race. They were knocked out early. I mean, they've lost games to Penn State. They've lost to Maryland. Uh, They haven't dominated in pitching like we thought. To me, Michigan, a team that I thought had okay Oklahoma City aspirations, they're going to be a two-seed somewhere, and they can't complain about where they're going to get sent, unlike last year. They're going to be sent somewhere, and it could be out west. Gray, who's disappointing? Well, I'm just going to say, Ray, raise your hand again. This is an audio medium, but raise your hand if Michigan would be your number one team as well for most disappointing if Eric hadn't said it. Right, yeah. Because right, what so. in the world, Michigan? <laughs> uh, Alex Taraco has had issues, especially in game ones, which is very interesting. Uh, they've had really a lot of trouble throwing early in the conference series, and then they kind of figure it out at the end, but in some cases it's too late. It's very odd. My most disappointing team – 
I think I'm going to say Florida, which is weird, but I feel like there's a good chance that the, uh, that the top eight streak as well could come to an end this year. Right now, if the SEC tournament started today, they would be seventh, which is, you know, not Florida, except for that one year where they were, you know, a low seed and then won the whole thing because Kelly Barnhill won on a heater. But <laughs> they don't have a Kelly Barnhill this year that they can rely on. The pitching staff has absolutely 100% top to bottom taken a step back. So I think Florida is still very good uh, in, in terms of the national landscape. But from what I expected coming into the year, they are not where I thought they would be at this point. Again, as Tom mentioned earlier, some of it's bad luck. The Hannah Adams thing, that's brutal, especially going into a series with Arkansas. But I thought they would be better than 11 and 10 right now in the SEC. Victor, who you got? I'm going to say Oregon, but it might have an asterisk because he lost Brooke Yanez early on in the season due to an injury. They haven't had her since. But I'm surprised that they haven't been able to find someone who can fill in that role to kind of be at least that co-ace on that staff. So a lot of people felt Oregon was going to be one of those sleep, one of those sleeper teams, one of those uh, chic uh, picks to make it to Oklahoma City and possibly make a deep run to possibly play for the national championship. So considering that and how Washington handled Oregon this past weekend, Oregon definitely out of the line to host. The Ducks are going to be a solid two. And if you're somebody, if you're a Florida State, if you're an Arkansas, or if you're at Oklahoma State, you do not want to see the Ducks because, yes, they may be lacking on the pitching end, but they still have a lot of pop in that offense and can give a one seed some fits. I would recommend that Oregon wins a top 25 RPI game, though. Just like, this, wouldn't that be at any nice? point, at any point. Can Give you, that a shot. Can, see what happens. Just, just see if you can win a good game against a good <laughs> team. Sorry, Tom, go ahead. No, I, I'm going to say, uh, well, if I was again saying SEC centric, I would say Missouri it has been very disappointing. I thought, I thought the Alabama Missouri series at the end of the season was going to be for the SEC championship. This is a team that was a top eight seed last year, had pretty much everybody coming back. Um, but just has, has not have been able to say anything consistent. Well, don't tell that to long. Kentucky. <laughs> well, no, no, it's true. But I'm just, you know, but before this, this weekend, of course, they're going to figure it out right before they come play Alabama. Naturally. Uh, that's how it goes. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the other one that I'm going to say outside the SEC, I'm going to say Arizona. Um, obviously, that they had a lot of turnover from last year. Um, new coach, obviously, is, is a big storyline. So I wasn't necessarily thinking they were going to win the conference but being at one point this year was oh and nine in the s in the pac 12 it was it was a really tough start they've won some games here lately but um they have not had an arizona like season at all so i would i would put them as in the disappointing column as well i'm gonna throw another bonus one this is not really a team but it's more of a of a theme because this is going to be a storyline i think potentially on selection sunday mid-major conferences what happened Right now in my field of 64, I only have two at-large spots going to a non-Power 5 league. That's in the American with South Florida and Wichita State. The Sunbelt Conference, which you guys know well, was a four-bid league last year. They are a one-bid league right now unless somebody upsets the Cajuns in the Sunbelt Tournament. CUSA, one-bid league. James Madison will not make the tournament this year. They've had a down year. There are no mid-majors. We're on pace if this continues to be the lowest uh, number for mid-major teams making the NCAA tournament, there's going to be people upset about that. But quite frankly, 
they've been down and disappointing starting with the Sun Belt. And, and Eric, you're not too far away from uh, the from UCF yeah. not being one of those teams anyway because they're going to move. They're gonna be- <laughs> That's right. They're going to the Big 12. Yeah. Right? yeah. You're joining us. That's right. See you, boys. See everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the power. Moving yeah, on no, up. The Sun Belt thing is interesting because that's a league that, you know, you, you look at all the talent across all those teams and you would think that they would be able to at least match what they did last year. But South Alabama had a just horrific non-conference. So as well as they played in conference, it, it doesn't matter. Troy has had some bad losses and they haven't been able to win the Leanna Johnson games. Texas State has had some puzzling losses and they're having to throw Jessica Mullins literally every time out. It, it is disappointing what, what's happened to Miss Sunbelt and even to, you know, to a lesser extent, Louisiana, you know, their RPI is fine, but they're talented enough to where they shouldn't be sitting at, I think 32 right now, Eric, isn't that right? Yeah. Mid thirties. Yeah. They yeah. lost to Appalachian state over the weekend. Very first sketchy. time ever they lost to Appalachian state, by the way. Jeez. Not good. Yeah. Well, I, the, we don't think we'll see any Sunbelt teams in OKC, but I do want to ask about the best bets for Oklahoma City. Now, you know, don't put any odds on it, but give me your four best bets to reach the champ series. So if you had to power rank four teams that you feel could make it to the final two at the Women's College World Series, who would they be? I will start with Victor. Okay, are we are we saying top four teams including Oklahoma or top top four teams not including Oklahoma? Because I think the biggest story in college softball would be if Oklahoma did not make it to the champ series in Oklahoma City. Yeah. So no, Oklahoma's one for everybody. So three more. Fair. Okay. So I got <laughs> I got Oklahoma one. I have Virginia Tech two. I have Right now, I have Alabama three, and then four, I I will slightly, because they've been there before, I will slightly take UCLA over Florida State and Arkansas. But if you ask me the same question in 15 minutes, I can give you Florida State, UCLA, Arkansas, or Arkansas. It's that close, by the way. Mm. Eric? Yeah, Oklahoma's one. I have Alabama too. I'm not gonna panic or re- overreact to this past weekend. I don't, you know, college this year. This year's not been a good year for Alabama teams going to College Station for whatever reason. So we're gonna throw that out. Right. But still, it worked out. It worked out for football in the long run. So right there you go. Yes, there you go. Yeah. And sometimes <laughs> you need a, a weekend like that to kind of you know change the deal. And, I, and they've been there. They're battle tested. You wonder too, not to make excuses for them, but when you've been there, done that. Do you have a lull during the season? You're like, can we just get to the postseason? I think Alabama still, to me, is number two. I think Florida State, for that same reason, is number three. They've been there, done that. And then I'll put Virginia Tech four. We all, you you guys saw them in person. I, I just saw them in person recently a few weeks ago when they played UCF. They're legit. Uh, everybody knows about Keely Richard. Everybody now is starting to know about Emma Lemley. What people don't talk enough about is their offense. Their young offense, Ritter and Pack and company, they're legit. I think Pete Damore is one of the up and uh, rising stars, and they've been building towards this. A few years ago, they got to a Lexington Regional Final when they got back to the tournament. Last year, they pushed UCLA to within a game of the Women's College World Series in Los Angeles. I think they will host this year. I think they'll be probably the three seed, and I think they will get there. And with the arms they have and the bats, they can get to the championship series. Tom. I, I like Victor's four. I'm going to say with the same four that Victor had, and but I'm just going to flip Alabama, Virginia Tech, just because uh, 
I think the head-to-head will still matter as far as that goes. I've seen Alabama's pitching be able to shut down the Virginia Tech offense, so I think Alabama can win a pitcher's duel with either Limley or Rochard. And then also you'll have a little bit of, you know, first time at, at that under that spotlight for those players at, at Virginia Tech, which might gives Alabama a little bit of a lead for me. But at Alabama or Oklahoma, Alabama, Virginia Tech, UCLA would be my four. That's what I've got too. Uh, the order is a little bit different. I've got Oklahoma, uh, Virginia Tech. Actually, it's exactly like Victor's. Oklahoma, Virginia Tech, Alabama, and UCLA. Uh, I do have some UCLA concerns about the offense. Yeah, yes, yeah. That's, that's yeah, that's my. The only reason I have UCLA in is because I I have trust that they have more. They're deeper in their pitching staff with that with that three headed monster with uh, with Acevedo, Ferramo, and Shaw that I can make up for that when the office has some bad days, which they've had a lot more of this season. Yeah. It, go, but this go goes ahead, back Eric. to the draw. This goes back to the draw because where is UCLA going to be seated is very interesting. The Pac-12 champion, since they've started seeding the tournament, the lowest seed they've gotten is a five seed by Oregon in 2016. That's kind of where I have UCLA right now. They, I think the ceiling for them is probably a four. If that's the case, who do they draw potentially as a 12 or a 13? What if it's a SEC team to be determined? ACC. This is a controversial topic. The Pac-12 has always been represented in the Women's College World Series since 1986. I think that's in serious jeopardy this year. And I think this year, I would not be surprised that I think there's more teams from the ACC representing OKC than the Pac-12. Gosh, Eric, you sound like a man to wow here just believing it, it, it took him three years great but i finally got him on the acc bandwagon we welcome you eric lopez we welcome you with Scarborough and i did talk about it before the year to her credit to your point she was the first to say she thought they could get two teams into the world series yeah she's she's been riding that train and i at first i called her crazy but now clairvoyant scarborough i will say this not only do i have some offensive issues about ucla but i wonder long term what the oh somebody's on third with two outs let's bring in foramo what that does because not even necessarily for foramo but if there's a situation where it has to be acevedo in the regular season kelly i is taking those chances to grow and to have that experience away from the other pitchers not just acevedo but shaw as well and if there's a moment in the postseason where it has to be acevedo how will she handle it when she hasn't gotten those chances to finish off an inning where she's in a jam at the end of the regular season, that's a little concerning as well, but UCLA does have the experience. I think Faramo is pitching like a machine this year as she does pretty much every year. It's hard to bet against them, but there are some logistical questions that I have about the Bruins that, that almost kept them out of this four. We're all right, guys, we're at the end of the year. Confetti has has fallen. The champion has been crowned. What is the biggest story we're talking about when we're finished at Oklahoma City as far as the scope of the 2022 season in college softball? What's our biggest story? We'll start with Gray Robertson. Oh, yes. I, d- I don't want this to come out bad, but I think that one of the biggest stories we're going to be talking about is the coaching search at Texas A&M. Joe Evans is in the final year of her contract with the Aggies. We saw something similar at Georgia. I don't know what year Lou Harris Champer was in her contract. She probably had unlimited years, but they finished the season well, and then she decided to retire from OKC. A&M, we saw them this past weekend, Tom. They looked sharp. 
They look like they could potentially make a little bit of noise given the right draw in the postseason. Could that be Joe Evans' chance to say, thank you for all the years. It's time for me to retire and take another role. And A&M, with all that money, start looking after some other big names. I, I don't want to shout out. I don't want to start anything. But a lot of us have had these conversations behind the scenes already. And we know that the Aggies will swing big. I think that that could be maybe the biggest story in the sport, no matter who wins the championship, because perhaps a coach or two that we saw in the World Series would be in the mix for that job. It would create quite the domino effect for sure, because you know A&M has has the money. They're going to be able to go out and get pretty much whoever they want, so that's going to cause some some other vacations that we don't know of. Yeah, and I'm going to just say I love Joe Evans. I'd love to see her stick around, but I feel like there's always one every year that kind of takes us by surprise. Last year we had multiple. This year I think the one will be Texas A&M. All right, Victor, who, who you got? What you got? The arrival of the ACC on the national landscape, because you can make a legitimate case right now. You have two national championship contenders with Virginia Tech and Florida State. You got two other teams who, if things break their way, they could be in Oklahoma City with Clemson and Duke. And you can see this year in Oklahoma City kind of the that now wave of the ACC coming in. We saw it with Florida State. We saw it bubbling a little bit last year with Clemson, Duke, Florida State, Virginia Tech, all making it to regional finals. Of course, Virginia Tech being one win away from making it to OKC. I think this is the year that the ACC, in my humble opinion, officially is right there with the Pac-12 battling and the Big 12 battling to be the second best conference in college softball. Eric? Uh, Gray's, I agree 100% with you, Gray. That's a topic that is definitely simmering. Uh, and it reminds me a lot of 2018 when I was at OKC and Texas was open and they were asking Tim Walton about it. And Tim was asked about it in the press conference. Victor and I were there. Uh, I could see a similar scenario playing out at ENM, not with Tim Walton, but with other coaches that could be potentially there at OKC. That's going to be the, could be the number one offseason storyline uh, from a softball standpoint. I think the big story coming out of OKC is going to be how is the sport, how is everybody else going to compete with the SEC? moving forward when you consider oklahoma and texas pending arrival whenever that happens all right how do you catch up to the sec especially if you're the pac-12 and you know victor to his point if the acc gets more teams in the pac-12 in okc now we got to re kind of figure out where's the pac-12 in the whole landscape here uh i think those are some of the questions that we could be talking about in oklahoma city but i think the big one is how do you keep up with the SEC with Oklahoma and Texas added to this SEC that could potentially have an Alabama there at the World Series, could have Arkansas. I wouldn't discount Tennessee as a sleeper there. As if if Ashley Rogers is actually healthy for longer than five minutes, uh, you know, maybe a few days. That could be the big, I think, the narrative in OKC is how are people going to catch up to the SEC? Mine, mine is, I'm going out on a limb on this one. Oh my God, someone beat Oklahoma. I don't know who it's going to be, but somebody, I'm taking the field. I'm going to take whatever, whoever it is, I'll take the 63 against the one. And I will, I will say someone beat Oklahoma. Someone found a way. Um, I can't tell you who that's going to be, but I think that's going to be the story. And if that does happen, that will certainly be the story. All right. I'll flash forward. Last question. This is about three weeks into the future before the confetti comes. We'll probably all have our pitchforks and be shaking our fists. What's the mistake the committee makes this year? 
when the bracket comes out, what are we looking at and going, God, what? Really? And, you know, I will say, Eric, you know, good job on your interview earlier today that was released today with the committee chairman or chairwoman, I should say, Sandy Atkins. You know, I heard the same stuff last year and I still had bracket concerns. So I like that some of the the people on the committee, that's been updated. They've added more coaches. They seem to have more softball minds, but I'm not totally convinced we're going to get it right quite yet. So what what are we complaining about on Selection Sunday? What, what, what is the What is the farcical decision is what, is what we're saying. Well, uh, it's one of your favorites, Gray. Head to head. Does it matter? That's what I think is going to be the hot topic. Not necessarily at the top, but it could be. Like, let's say Virginia Tech finishes a head a seated higher than Alabama. That's going to create a stir a little bit. But more so on the bottom half of the seating grade, I'm sure you're going to – you and I are probably looking at the same thing. I think there's two to three hosting spots at the bottom where we're going to be kind of scratching our head trying to figure out what direction this is going to go. For example, you know, Georgia was the flavor of the, of the week last week. Oh, Georgia, Georgia. They lose to LSU head-to-head, two out of three. LSU will probably be the flavor going into this week when they play Florida. One problem. They got swept by Kentucky. They've been swept by Texas. Does that matter? UCF, if they win the American, you realize UCF right now has 12 wins against the top 50. No team since 2008 that was not in a power five. This is a non-power five conference that had 10 or more wins in the top 50 and a top eight conference has always hosted. They've always hosted. Will UCF host? Who knows? But they beat Texas head-to-head. But if Texas hosts, that's going to be the outcry. Why do they host? What we beat them. That could become a theme because, as you know, you mentioned with Sandy Atkins, I spoke to her. I asked her directly, Gray. I thought of you when I asked that question because <laughs> you've talked for years with Tom, and Tom kind of has that, you know, you can tell Tom's reaction. It's like, here we go again. Yeah, but it's head-to-head. Is it important? She's like, it is, but it's not the end all be all. So it's kind of like, eh, we don't know. So that's to me could be the hot topic on selection night. That's that to me is a better answer than Joe Lenardi saying no one cares about head to head with the basketball bracket. Then why did we play? Right. Well, point. I'll, can I answer my own question before I toss to Tom and Victor? Please. I, I think it's going to be either we have given Texas too much credit for beating Oklahoma and not yeah. beating anybody else. Or we haven't given Texas enough credit for being yeah. one of the two teams to beat yeah. Oklahoma. It's going to be one or the other. That's pretty much it. The rest like of the it. resume is pretty bare. So, yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, they beat Oklahoma. Odds are there's only one other team who will do that this year in the regular season. That's Oklahoma State. If that happens, if not, Texas is the only team that beat the number one team far and away in the country. That has to mean something. But did we give that too much credence over a, a resume that's actually? Well, I mean, I heard they're gonna put a they're gonna put a they're gonna put a pennant, a big parade right. uh, for that win. I mean, that was a big deal. Victor yeah, knows sure. this. I mean, they were celebrating like they won the national title, so it must have meant something. And by the way, they still lost the series. Yeah. Oh yeah. By the that's way, the other thing. Yeah, at home, like you tell. <sighs> come on now. Yeah. Go ahead, yeah. Victor. Defend us, the Longhorns. He's a Longhorn <laughs> apologist. <laughs> My biggest thing is that who will be seated on the same side of the draw as Oklahoma when they get to Oklahoma City? That's going to be the more interesting one because you could have potentially, you could have a team like a Arkansas. You could have a Northwestern there, maybe a Tennessee there. Who gets seated six, seven, eight, nine? It's going to be 
so fluid to what Eric was talking about with head-to-head because a lot of these teams would have met in previous preseason tournaments like Marinella, like SBC Elite Invitational, like Kachikawa. If dude, if those if head-to-head really does matter and those teams are not seated in a proper order, we're all going to be asking, then why the heck did we play? What, what criteria did you use to determine those? So who gets seated on that possible same side of Oklahoma in Oklahoma City will be the one I'll be keeping my eye on. And hopefully, and is this year a team from a non-power five can actually be a national seed? As Eric alluded to, UCF has the resume. They beat Texas. They have plenty of great wins. They're playing in a top, top eight league in the American. They have to win the regular season and the tournament title. They did that once before and did not host. This team will have a much stronger resume than that team that did that with UCF. And Eric can give you all the numbers about that. But if UCF does those things and they still don't host, then I am fully convinced when this game of musical chairs continues with Texas and Oklahoma moving to the SEC and UCF goes to the Big 12, then no non-Power 5 school will ever host in this current format, because if you have all these numbers and these resume building wins and you still can't get a chance to host in front of your home fans, then what the heck are we doing here? I I think as far as the head-to-head conversation, head-to-head should definitely matter as long as everything else is equal. Um, you know, and that that's where if say Virginia Tech does win the ACC regular season and and the conference tournament title, and Alabama doesn't, which uh, the regular season doesn't look like it's going to happen, the tournament could still happen. I would be okay with Virginia Tech being seated ahead of Alabama at that point. Uh, but if that doesn't happen, then Alabama should be ahead of Virginia Tech. But overall, I think the question I will, I always have for the committee is in the year of our Lord, 2022, why does geography matter in seating? Everybody can, everybody can fly. The, the NCAA has plenty of money. They can fly people wherever they want to go. Why are we always sending Wichita State to Norman? Or Austin, you see after Florida, what? Right, exactly. Or Di- Tallahassee. Let's 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 give people different. I agree. Uh, you know, experiences. If Mississippi Valley State wins the SWAC, they shouldn't automatically come to Alabama as the four seed. This, the thing should be seated one through 16, 17 through thirty-two in a snake, and then only making adjustments to keep conference teams from playing each other in regionals. Outside of that. Just seed it as it is. There's no reason that we, we, geography should not matter at all on these three and f- even the two seeds coming. They should just go wherever they are seated to go. Geography shouldn't matter. Let me defend the committee real quick because that's not a committee's decision. That's an NCAA like, hey, you have to bust certain te- amount of teams within right. the 400. It's not like the committee. Like I asked Sandy Atkins in the episode about that. And if it was up to them, they would not want the 400 mile radius because it would be easier to seed the tournament. That's why the two seeds are always out of whack because you have to bust certain teams. They have discussed about seeding the two seeds, 17 to 32, which is what I agree with you on that, Tom. But I will defend the committee to this extent. That is not their decision. That is the NCAA telling them you must bust certain teams. So this is an NCAA issue, not a committee issue, in fairness well, to that. Well, I mean, I can complain about them too. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm equal, equal opportunity. Go I'm, ahead, cer- I'm certainly not waving the flag for the NCAA. I promise you that. <laughs> Victor Anderson, mm-hmm. Eric Lopez, thank you so much for hopping on the Out of the Box in the Circle crossover. Always good to see you, gentlemen. Can't wait to do it again soon. Always a pleasure, boys. Thank you, fellas. Okay, Tom, what do you say we round third? 
let's do it. When we come back, I have toiled a little bit over my bracketology, but honestly, folks, a lot of it was just gut and lack of time because I got home, I did bracketology, and then we got on the air to record this podcast. We got bracketology and big week 11 games when we come back here on the Out of the Box podcast. Box podcast. It is time to round third and pull names out of the hat to fill 16 spaces. Tom, it's time for my new bracketology. At this point, maybe the committee is going to do the same thing. We'll see what happens. Very excited though. Well, after number one, that is, you know, I think right. we all know who number one is right now. <laughs> I think we'll go ahead, just go ahead, and pencil them in as the number one overall seed. Of course, them is Oklahoma. The Sooners are my number one. Number two, I've got Virginia Tech moving up. Number three, I've got Alabama. Four, UCLA. Five, Arkansas. Six, Florida State. Seven, Northwestern. Eight, Oklahoma State. Nine, Florida. Ten, Tennessee. Eleven, Washington. Twelve, Arizona State. Thirteen, Duke. Fourteen, Texas. Fifteen, Clemson. Sixteen, Kentucky with just on the outside looking in right now, LSU, UCF, Georgia, and Notre Dame in that order. So your potential supers matchups would be 116, Oklahoma, Kentucky, 215, Virginia Tech, Clemson. Ugh, I wish yeah. not. 314, Alabama, Texas. No, I mean, okay, but no. We just did that. 413, UCLA, Duke. 5-12, Arkansas, Arizona State. 6-11, Florida State, Washington, which sign me up right now. That would be fun. 7-10, Northwestern, Tennessee. And 8-9, Oklahoma State, Florida. So, Tom, I'm ready. My arms are open. Give me your best <laughs> shot. What you got? All right, you have just on the outside looking in at number 18, UCF. We talked with the guys from In the Circle about uh, the Golden Knights earlier. Is there a scenario where you think UCF gets in the top 16? If everybody else in front of them loses. I mean, the win against Virginia Tech is great. Awesome. That's good. It carries a lot of water. But one in five against the RPI top 10, four and seven against the RPI top 25, and they don't have as many top 50 wins as even some of the teams around them. You know, Georgia's got 16, UCF has 12. I think that, you know, there are some good wins here. There are not enough to overshadow some of these other teams. And as good as UCF's resume is for a mid-major, I'm sorry, I can't seed them just because it's good for a mid-major. It's got to be good, period. And right now it is not as good, in my opinion, compared to Kentucky, Clemson, or Texas, or even LSU, who I've got just ahead in the next four out. Uh, as we talked about earlier, I'm okay with Virginia Tech being ahead of Alabama despite the head-to-head right now because of what happened this past weekend and the projections for Virginia Tech. Does Virginia Tech have to win both the regular season and tournament titles in the ACC to stay ahead of Alabama? For me, no. If they win the regular season, go right ahead. You know, I, I think – in my opinion, and I know you're the same way, the regular season championship is the most important thing that you can have on a resume uh, besides like key great wins. 
And if Virginia Tech can win the ACC in this year, especially, I think that that has to carry some weight because we've talked about it. That conference top to bottom has just gotten better this season. I think it's the second best conference in college softball right now. So I think that if they win the league and I I made the move already because it feels I'm trying not to be super predictive with these, but it feels like Virginia Tech is going to win the ACC. I felt pretty comfortable moving them past Alabama. As you talked about with Eric and Victor, and I've said the same thing, head-to-head has to matter when the resumes are equal. There are a lot of equal resumes right now, but I think that Virginia Tech winning the ACC will negate that head-to-head just a bit. But again, we'll see because right now, honestly, Tom, I mean, you stack these up, the resumes are pretty darn similar, except in one main area, which is conference record. (laughs) Other than that, there's not much of a difference at all. But we've talked about Alabama's overall resume and how it is one of, if not the best one, at some points, far and away, the best one in the entire country. Um, How much did the two losses to A&M hurt it? Tom, this is going to shock you. Not that much. All it did. I was told we were supposed to stop playing softball now that we had two losses to A&M catastrophe collapse calamity Mm. no actually none of that here's the (laughs) thing what Alabama had going for it besides all the really good stuff was that there wasn't a ton of negative we talked about I think that there were as of two weeks ago or even coming into this week three teams who did not have a loss outside the RPI top 25 Oklahoma Alabama and Duke Duke got theirs on Wednesday Alabama got two this past weekend, but it's not like they lost to a team that's 52nd like Virginia Tech did against Virginia or a team that's 90th like Florida State did with Pitt or even Northwestern who lost to 68 Texas Tech or Arkansas who lost to 39 Louisville or Oklahoma State who lost to 109 UTA. No, they lost to A&M who is at 33. That's a very respectable RPI number. If you look at it in the context of where A&M is in the SEC standings, you might say, my God, the season is over. This would be like Alabama losing to Vanderbilt in football. But in the context of what the committee looks at, these losses aren't that bad. Also, again, what has to be factored in, and I know it will be, this was an SEC series on the road. If Alabama loses at Rhodes, this is much more damaging than what losing two at Davis Diamond does. A&M is for sure a lock to make the NCAA tournament. The only question was, would they be above 500? If they were 27 and 26, they would have been in fairly comfortably. The wins against Alabama lock that in. I see probably the strongest resume top to bottom in terms of all the metrics and two conference losses on the road to a team just outside the top 30 in the RPI doesn't mean Alabama is going to plummet from two where I had them last week to six or seven, where I saw some people on a certain social media platform projecting Alabama might be. Which may be discussed in a segment coming up in just a little bit. Um, You have Arkansas at number five, likely going to win uh, the conference regular season in the SEC. What do you think is a ceiling for the Razorbacks right now? I think it depends on what their draw is in the SEC tournament, honestly. So one of the things, again, I try not to get too predictive with this, but Arkansas, in my opinion, is pretty much locked up the SEC. So I gave them credit for that and bumped them up to five. You know, they aren't going to have a worse loss than Louisville 
because A&M is probably not going to drop below 39. And I don't think Arkansas is losing to South Carolina. If they do, then, you know, we can reevaluate. That lowers the ceiling if they lose to South Carolina. Just a touch. South Carolina is not A&M, folks. But (laughs) the one thing that really does hurt Arkansas and make me think their ceiling might be about five because I still feel really secure in that top four of Alabama, Virginia Tech, UCLA, and Oklahoma. And I think Florida State can get back there too. I just, you know, Arkansas doesn't have as many bad losses as the Knowles, and I I can't keep ignoring the pit thing. But I will say this, Arkansas is now 3-0 against the RPI top 10. They picked up all three wins this past weekend. They've got nine wins against the RPI top 25, which is solid, but less than Alabama, the same as UCLA, less than Virginia Tech, and less than Florida State, and even Northwestern, who's a couple spots below. I think they need to get a good draw in the SEC tournament, maybe play a Tennessee, another Alabama, or Alabama, another Florida game, and hope to win some of those to really pad the top part of the critical wins area to maybe move up. And if they can go on a run in the SEC tournament and get some of those quality wins in the RPI top 25 and maybe one or two in the top 10, I could see them as high as three. Is there any scenario where Oklahoma's not the number one seed? No. Yeah. It's done. It's done. They could get swept by Oklahoma State and it's done. How bad will the traffic be if those seeds hold up and Oklahoma plays Oklahoma State in the first round in OKC? Tom, we will need to spend the night in the radio booth just to make sure that we're there. Actually, you know what? We'll do one better. We'll go camp out in the parking lot at the zoo. That way we can be entertained during the day and then go into the games. Because good Lord. But I also think it would be a better game than it was in 2019 when those teams were last matched up in OKC. Yeah. At the zoo, we can go to the horse track, the casino, anything right there just to be in the general area because as much great improvements they've made in the actual stadium, I do not think they've made the infrastructural improvements around. So <laughs> it's going to be very difficult to get in there. Duke kind of did a free fall with that loss to Syracuse. Do they have an opportunity to kind of right the ship and, and get themselves back up into the top eight? Well, I, I think just like Arkansas, it kind of it comes down to the ACC tournament because here's what they've got left at Campbell and three against Pitt. So Ugh. literally, pun intended, all that's left are pitfalls until the ACC tournament. So win what you got, hope you've got a good draw and see if you can make up some ground. But honestly, at this point, when it's this tight, Tom, like I'm telling you, it all depends on what the committee values this year. Do they care about the the scheduling metrics? Do they care about quality wins? Do they care more about head-to-head than ever before? Is it all eye test? I did not do any of this off of eye test because, well, the committee has said they're going to use more of it. I'll believe it when I see it. And Mm -hmm. to be honest, I can't watch all of these teams as equally as I'd like to because often they're playing while we're on the air. But even just playing Pitt, that's going to bring down some of their metrics. So Duke is going to need a good chance in the ACC tournament against some of those other conference teams that are in these same positions to make up some ground. Because right now, it's hard to see them moving up in the next two weeks. They, they're going to have to make some moves once they get to the postseason. And again, people forget because of the COVID restrictions, they weren't allowed to host. But Duke was a top 16 seed last year. 
and had to go to Georgia and Georgia had their run afterwards. So it's not inconceivable that, that they, that they could host. Do you feel secure about what I've got? I think so. Um, like I say, this did not take into account today's game. Uh, so I think if you were, if you redid it right now, am I correct in saying Kentucky probably not a 16? I would have to run the numbers, but I would f- probably say, yeah, they would be out. I, I think a lot of what is going to happen because there is so there is not the separation, you know, is once you get past that top three or four, everyone's kind of clumped together. The where the committee sends two seeds, I think is going to be very, very important this season as far as who gets out of regionals, much less gets the super regionals. Well, Eric kind of teased it. You know, if Kentucky doesn't host, I'm sure this was the team he had matched up with Northwestern. That feels like a trappy regional situation. But again, there's so much time. Kentucky, you, you can't get swept at home. You just can't. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, I, you know, if I had to redo the numbers, they probably would be out. But, gosh, don't make me do that, Tom. I don't no, have- I want, I'm just saying, we got – we got plenty. We we can discuss it on the way to Bowling Green tomorrow. Okay. Shall <laughs> I move on to the big games coming up this week? Yes. Okay. Some good stuff. Wednesday, Tennessee at Liberty. This would not have been on my list had Liberty not just beaten Duke last week. So, Tom, trappy for the Lady Vols. Liberty, Liberty. They could. You always got to be careful of them. And next up. The Thursday night throwdown has been a hit. Our friends, BMO, Smitty, they've been getting the good games. Well, they've only been conference games thus far. This week, you've got a non-con for the stars. Oklahoma State at Florida State on ESPN2 Thursday night. That's going to be part of picks, Tom. Sign me the heck up. Good Lord. Yeah, that's that's a heck of a non-conference series to be playing this late in the game and Props to Oklahoma State for scheduling that. You know, we, we kind of give Oklahoma grief on, you know, the lack of scheduling a good non-conference considering their conference doesn't give them a whole lot of strength to schedule. Uh, Oklahoma State, you know, rectifying that with bringing in Florida State. So props to both those teams actually for playing that series. And resume-wise, just to spin it back a bit, important for both. Florida State right now, strength of schedule 44 and a non-con SOS of 73. Oklahoma State strength of schedule of 50, non-con strength of schedule of 30. So even just playing these three games, and there will be two on Friday, will be very helpful for both teams. Indeed. All right, this weekend, let's both pick a series, Tom. What do we have? Again, you know, Oklahoma State and Florida State playing two on Friday. That is off the board. Which series fires you up the most? Well, we've been talking a lot of ACC, and because – uh, the possibility of one of these teams coming to Tuscaloosa. I like that Georgia Tech and Clemson series because uh, that kind of this will be one of those series where it tells you is Georgia Tech for real? Are they that type of team that's going to be able to make some noise in the postseason against a team like Clemson who's fighting for a chance still to host a host a regional? Clemson's got a chance to steal some RPI top twenty-five wins as we talked about with the in the circle guys. The Yellow Jackets are not bad. That would be a quality win for Clemson. They've got them at home. They've got a chance. So I I like that pick. I'll go Stanford at Washington. As Victor talked about, this is a Stanford team that has now taken two from UCLA and two from Arizona State. 
Washington is playing better. Does that just mean they are falling into the trap of being a good team that loses two to Stanford TBD, but it's in Seattle. It'll be fun to watch. Assuming, you know, we can watch it on whatever strange way they're showing it. I said, well, we found out that Eric's one of four people that have the PAC 12 network. So we're down to only three. So maybe, maybe we can get in there. Jen, <laughs> Tara, <laughs> who that leaves one person. Right. Who do we call? Mm, Jenny Dalton Hill might be our best bet, honestly. Mm. She's in our part of the world too, so we can just go up to Lexington and watch yeah, the that'll, game. That'll be fun. <laughs> we've, we've never done that, just driven to Lexington. <laughs> uh, okay, Tom, what say we head home? Getting the signal to head to the place. It's time. When we come back, we've got picks, Tom's hungry, and yes, off the wall. That's next when we get back here on the Out of the Box podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast, episode 51, as strange as Area 51, because this sport has gone haywire. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. I would review the episode, but honestly, I'm trying to save time. It's late as we record. We don't need to look back. You've already been listening to the show. So let's just go on with picks. Are you ready, Tom? Let's do it. Because surely the goodness we can do better this week than we did last week. How bad was it, folks? Well, Tom got one right after the week before getting one wrong, and Gray got two right. So I win, quote unquote, the week. Wow. And Tom is ahead overall 24 to 23. So we are. It was a, it was, it was a defensive battle this past weekend. Yes. So now what's nice about this, we don't have to pick an Alabama series. So we can just lay back, yes. not be stressed out. Alabama will go undefeated this weekend. Can confirm. Yes. I do, of course, have our one non-conference series on here, and then we will do the rest of the SEC. So, Tom, Oklahoma State at Florida State. I will go first. Florida State knows how to win. They know how to beat the really good teams. Now, Virginia Tech series aside, for the most part, they have taken care of business. It's been the, the smaller teams, you know, the bad teams where they've struggled. Oklahoma State, not a bad team. I am taking Florida State to win the series two out of three. Also, shout out to my friend, Mac Leonard, who started game three against Clemson, just rudely was not credited with the win. Just Mm. come on, Knowles, give her the dub. Florida State did sweep Clemson, and I don't think they get the sweep this weekend against the Cowgirls, but I will take the Knowles 2-1. I think the most important part of the series is the fact that it's in Tallahassee, so that being the deciding factor in me giving Florida State the series two games to one as well. Let's go to the SEC. South Carolina at Arkansas. Arkansas is sweeping. Next question. Go ahead. Tom. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Go ahead and mark that one down. Let's move on. Florida at LSU. Florida 2-1. It's the only thing that doesn't make sense to me. Florida winning this series without Hannah Adams after LSU just won the series against Georgia. As we've talked about, LSU is unpredictable. While do I trust Florida's pitching? No, I think that I'm going to expect the unexpected with the Tigers, and that means a Gators two out of three series win. Uh, Yeah, these are the two most unpredictable teams maybe in the entire conference, kind of going along the same lines as I did before. Being in Baton Rouge, I'll give LSU two games to one. Uh, Bold strategy, Cotton. 
Yeah. Disagree. Tom, I I got a hole two right last week. How dare you <laughs> disagree with me? I know. <laughs> okay, next up. What do we make of this one? Mississippi State at Kentucky. Bulldogs lost two out of three at home against Auburn. You feel like, you know, they're probably not feeling great. Well, Kentucky just got swept at home by Missouri. So I love it who, when I go first. Who who's pitching? I don't know, but I know who I'm picking, and I'm going to take Kentucky two out of three. I think it's a pride thing. I think that it's a, you know, everybody come in here. We cannot lose this series, or we will not play here in the postseason. And I think that Kentucky comes out fired up. Mississippi State at this point, honestly, is playing for SEC tournament seating. Kentucky is playing for NCAA tournament seating. I think that motivation is a little bit more. I will give the edge to the Wildcats. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you for pretty much the same reasons. Kentucky ha- is better than what they showed this past weekend. Um, yes. So you, you got to think for a pride of not only you know just playing better, but getting themselves set for their postseason run as well. I think they'll come out and play better than they did and uh, and take down Mississippi State two one. Texas A and M at Missouri. Oh my gosh, Missouri on a heater. A&M just took two out of three against the number two team in the country. How? What? How? Uh, how is it that they're playing this weekend? Of course they're playing. Of course, of course they are. The battle of the class of 2012 coming into the SEC, and man, I I don't know. Honestly, I think I'm glad, I think I'm glad another, you're going first. Yeah, I think another story in this one is going to be the injury to Macy Allen, the catcher for AM. They've had so many injuries and just having to do another shuffle. At some point, it's going to wear you down. And I think Missouri is also hot right now, like AM is, but they aren't dealing with the personnel issues that the Aggies are. I'm going to take Missouri to win this series two out of three. Yeah, being being in Como. If Allen's not available, though, they'll be down to 15 players dressed out with for AM. Tough to go on the road against a team, like I said, playing about as good as anybody in the conference right now. I think AM's able to get one, but I'll go Missouri 2 1 as well. Tennessee at Ole Miss. This is your Saturday, Sunday, Monday series. Ole Miss just swept South Carolina. Tennessee, like you mentioned, coming off of the Lady Vol quote unquote challenge <laughs> against UNC Greensboro and East Carolina. Tennessee technically very much still in the SEC race. Like they actually are in a better position than Alabama is right now, <laughs> which is interesting, even though Alabama is in second. Yeah. I'm going because to take of math. Yeah. I'm going to take Tennessee two out of three. It's at Ole Miss. I feel like the Rebels are going to steal one, but these are two teams trending in opposite directions. And I would be shocked if the Lady Balls don't win the series. As would I. And I'm going to go a little bit further. I'm going to say Tennessee sweeps them. Oh. Yeah. Ole Miss just seems like the team that they are going to be able that they will sweep the the teams like South Carolina, but they can also, if they run up against a good pitching weekend by the opponent could be stifled for all three. And I don't think they get as much of a home field advantage as they do as some other teams in this conference, uh, Tennessee, they know that they have that they have the legitimate shot. You know, they need a little bit of help, but they're, they're in the race. Uh, and I think they play like it. So I'll go with Tennessee with a sweep. We have one more. So, all right. Georgia at Auburn. Oh, my gosh. The South's oldest rivalry. I don't yes. know if it is for softball, but it is 
Probably not. Probably not. No, no. Probably about the same age as everybody else. Um, <laughs> we all started at the same time. <laughs> started basically at the same time. Um, hmm. I'll tell you this. The reason I'm going to pick Auburn to win this series two out of three is because of which games in the LSU series Georgia lost. It was the Kerpix games. She was giving up bombs. LSU had a bunch of home runs this past weekend, but also a lot of RBI walks. They struggle with their control to the Georgia pitchers. Auburn is a team that does what? Hits a lot of bombs and get people on base, whether it be the free pass or they just find a way to occasionally put people on. And typically that's not sustainable, just working off of power. I think it will be against the Georgia pitching staff this weekend. I will take the Tigers two out of three as Georgia kind of starts sliding and perhaps with a series loss comes off the page for bracketology, potentially, potentially. Wow. You make extremely valid points. They're all very succinct and correct. That being said, I think Georgia wins 2-1. I felt it coming. <laughs> Do you have any reasoning at all? Um, just the inconsistency of Auburn a little bit. Um, not that Georgia's been real consistent either, uh, but I think – going on the road at this point it is a rivalry game rivalry series um and i think georgia's better than what they played overall against lsu this past weekend so i I think they they kind of have a bounce back tom do you want to hear a staggering fact what's what's that kk dismukes has thrown more conference innings than shelby low well that's just ridiculous that's a problem that is not it's not great bob no I tell you what, if KK Dismukes starts a game this weekend, I feel really good about my my uh, my pick. Yeah, I hear you. Because Penta's been going win-loss every weekend. So yeah. that's hmm. – okay, that's picks. You know what? It's going to be really nice to not have to worry about being a curse or whatever. I mean, we've been pretty right with our Alabama picks until this past weekend. Like, strangely to a T, like describing them perfectly. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. Well, you know who didn't describe things perfectly? Oh, no. People on the internet, Tom, the idiots have come out. Everybody needs to get fired. It's time to burn the program to the ground. This team isn't going to make the postseason. Oh, it's it- time for off the wall. Oh, wow. I know what one of yours is, so I'll, I'll let you do that one for sure. When Al- Alabama goes on the road and loses two out of three, we're not expecting everyone to be sunshine and roses and rainbows and everybody be excited about it. And by the way, we were not. No. I was actually concerned. I was like, ooh, am I going to get a call about what I said in postgame? <laughs> I, like, I Well, whatever. I didn't, yeah. so still have a job. That's oh, good. Good. All right. We, we also, I think, set the record for shortest postgame in game number two. I'm pretty sure we did. Okay, so you want me to go first? Yeah, I'd like to hear one of yours. Okay, so first off, a frequent commenter that I've referenced many times over the years, I'm going to make a call for him to just be blocked. It's time. It's time. We don't need 15 comments on every post. It's time. It's time to cut him out. He is not learning, and after literally a week ago saying, I will never doubt this team, he sent 10 comments 
in which he was doubting them even after the win. So it's just, it's time. Here we go. There is a woman, a woman out there who every, every comment, every post is saying stuff like this team sucks. No world series for them. They're not going to do anything. And you know, some people have been like, wow, you just seem really miserable, which like, yeah, honestly, if something makes you that upset, don't think about it. Don't let it take up real estate in your brain. But then somebody responded saying, no, you know, what she's saying are facts and you're all entitled to your opinions as are she, as is she. And so my response is now, wait a second. You're saying that what she's saying is facts. Her comment was no world series for them. Technically, that is the definition of an opinion, not a fact, because you're making a predictive statement. You cannot say something factual about something that hasn't happened yet. For example, I will say Alabama has won 43 straight regional games. That is a fact. What is not a fact is me saying Alabama will make supers this year. That is my opinion. So just, you know, differentiating between facts and opinions, people. I've got two more. One, there was a lot of talk this week about the KB side, Skylar Wallace, Alabama thing. And I saw a lot of it on Facebook. And, you know, again, I I think we should all just move on. Everybody's where they need to be Uh, happy for both of them. Happy for us. We're all we're all fine and dandy and everything's great. I did see one person say, though, uh, that uh, KB left to get a win at the World Series that she won a couple games with Alabama last year and in 2019. So that doesn't even make sense. Finally. After the run rule on Saturday, which sucked, we had a terrible time. Not straight up, not having a good time. Full on gallows humor in the booth. Probably the most hilarious broadcast we've ever done in the sickest way possible. (laughs) But then I look and, and, you know, a lot of people were disappointed. I was actually pretty impressed at some of the constructive criticisms and conversations going on. There were some strategic things that could have been discussed after that game. And then I saw a comment that said, they look absolutely pitiful. Any high school team could beat them tonight. So I was like, what? hold on, hold on, no way. So I commented back, no matter how bad it might get for an SEC team, an SEC team is literally not losing to any high school team in the country. And then I remembered something. I looked back in the archives Is this the the same woman? Could it be the woman? I can't tell. I don't have the name. It's the only time in any of these pages I just wrote down the comment. I can't find the name. But it's a woman who said in 2020, my granddaughter's high school team could have beaten Alabama. And then doubled down, if you will recall, by mentioning the high school who, again, you know. You know, they're not, we're not going to say their name. They're not a part of it. They were dragged in unfairly. But what is this notion that high school teams would beat collegiate teams in anything ever? What? No. Untrue. Untrue. Just as a college team would never beat a professional team in anything. Untrue. You know, all those high school athletes on that really good high school team, like two of them every year play in the SEC from a high school. Now, some club teams, you know, they might have five or six, but high school teams, mm-hmm. no. goodbye. That's that's it. 
it's the most ludicrous thing in the world. No matter how bad it gets, don't be the person that makes such an off-the-wall statement that even when Alabama is run-ruled for like the third time we've ever seen together, I still have to put you on the off-the-wall document. That takes an incredible amount of mental bullshit. I can't even believe it. So congratulations to you, whose name, by the way, is the same as the stepmother in the old parent trap, if you want to do some, you know, remembering and, uh, you know, perhaps figure out who it is. I'm dropping clues now, Tom. Please go (laughs) ahead. What's yours? Yes. Uh, The first one is, I think, after game two, uh, a comment was made. Where are all the sunshine pumpers at after that one? First of all, okay, so if you're just miserable and downing the team all the time as a fan, I don't understand, like, congratulations, being happy when things go poorly, like, good for you. I don't, I don't, I don't understand, like, what is your overall goal on this? Like, yes, I was right. The team I want to win didn't. Hooray for me. (laughs) What? How do you have that mindset? Of course, it's the same mindset where you're complaining about a team that you're supposedly rooting for, even when they're winning because they don't win the, the way that you want them to win. Uh, so, but I just, that, that's another just comment I don't understand. So if Alabama loses the national championship, would this person come on and say, I knew it. They I couldn't do that, it. I told you. I didn't want to celebrate us winning. Why? Yes. Also, I would like to, to point out that I don't care how many varsity letters you got in high school, how long you've been a fan of a particular team. I promise you, you do not have a strategy or a pitch selection or something else that has not been thought of by the Alabama coaching staff with one Hall of Famer Patrick Murphy as the head man. Associate head coach, Allison Habits in her 24th season as well. National championship winning pitching coach, Steffi Van Brakel Prothrow. I promise you, they have thought of everything. They are, they are working it out. They don't need your help, sir or madam. Tom, are you telling me that next time I draft a novel, I shouldn't send it to the coaching staff? I just, I, like, what? What enters your mind thinking that now this is this is what the coaching staff needs to do after Alabama gets run ruled? Need to read this three page email that I've crafted, and so that's going to be like, oh, that's the problem, and that that your this email from random person is going to be what flips a switch for the Crimson Tide, and also don't yell at Alabama players in the dugout during the oh. game. Here we go. I forgot about this and now I'm ready. I I look, if the game is going on, then do not speak to the players ever, ever. I, I also want to mm-hmm. add this. Don't be lingering outside their cars before or after games. Don't get really pissed off if they don't sign autographs, because here's the thing. We're not even supposed to be doing that this year. The players are signing autographs at times after the games out of the kindness of their hearts. And then on the road, good Lord, it's like if Carrie Underwood came through its town in Texas. I mean, the line was absurd. So 
don't get upset if they don't sign autographs. Don't be creepy with the players. The popularity is awesome and we love that, but there is a certain amount of decorum that you have with first off college athletes and second off with collegiate women in general. You don't act the way that some people are acting. And if you do act a fool, then look, sometimes I get a little, a little antsy, a little excited. I might come over and have some words if I hear anything. I, I'm thinking, Tom, of stepping up as a very large human and just being someone that gets in the face of some of the creepers out there. Because honestly, the stories that we've heard are pretty unacceptable from, yeah. from human people. Like, come on. Yes. Yeah. And this, like, it's one thing, like, if it's a small child, we understand. Yeah. But grown men, come on. If you're come 40 on, and above and alone, mm. it's just, let's just not. No. 40 might even be like a, uh, that, uh, that was just a random number I thought of. Yeah. That's, that's actually a pretty high floor. We can, we can bump that down a little bit. Let's go. Honestly, if you're my age or older yes. and alone, don't be don't, weird. Right. Just don't be weird. Stop. Don't be weird. I, I think it's, uh, I, I will say I was for the most part, pretty okay with the, with the responses with the comments, I think people are doing a much better job of a keeping things in perspective and b calling people out that are not keeping things in perspective. So uh, there is that. So, but you know, I think everyone just needs, was it, was it disappointing? Did it suck? Yeah. But let's, the, the season's not over. That's for sure. Don't need to fire everybody after a weekend. Yeah. Right. Alabama will make the, will make the tournament. I'm going to go ahead and say that. They're going to host regionals. Yes. That's like absolutely happening. And they're pretty much a lock already to host supers, but whatever. Yeah. All right, Tom, let's go to cheerier thing. Shall mm. we? Cause outside of the first two games, really enjoyable weekend. Honestly, college station. college station delivers every stinking time. We're three for three now and trips together to see stat as they call it. I got this awesome hat that I've been yes. wearing nonstop since the trip. But of course, the main memory, the food, Tom, and that mm-hmm. is our segue into the return of Tom's Hungry. Take it away, partner. And as I said previously, still the case, everything's a taco. I'm not complaining. It's just a statement of fact. And uh, we enjoyed tacos in College Station. Well, first, We're let eight. me cross that off my out-of-the-box bingo card. I knew yes. that, that <laughs> statement was coming at some point. Oh, good. Right. I, have to, I have a blackout, so I'm going to go collect my money. Go ahead, Tom. Nailed it. Um, unfortunately, the first really good tacos we had were after said run rule game. So we weren't really able to enjoy it as much uh, because just we were upset about how the game went. But thank you to Joe Evans for her uh, recommendation of Velvet Taco. Uh, really enjoyed that. I had a cheeseburger taco uh, and a fish and chips taco, which uh, I think they were both really good. I liked the burger one a little bit more than the fish, but uh, both quality. The only negative was they were out of flour tortillas when we got there, so I had to have the corn. So I think that gave it a little bit different taste than what it normally would, but it was still still quite good. That being said, my complaint on one of these shows a long time ago was that corn tortillas fall apart too much. You need to double it up. Single corn tortillas of Velvet Taco, and they held together extremely well. I was very impressed. 
I don't know how they did that, but they stuck <laughs> together. Your fish and chips taco looked incredible. That like immediately caught my eye when it came out. I was like, wow, all right. How'd they do yeah. that? I did the Baja shrimp taco, I believe. It might not be Baja, but there were shrimp in there. And then something with pulled pork. Honestly, I was too upset to write it down, but it was very good. As I right. was eating it, Tom, I told you, I was like, gosh, these might be some of the best tacos I've ever had. Of course, somehow mm. they were one-upped. Yes, uh, because you got to go to Torchy's. And that was, this was um, our second trip to Torchy's this year. There was a trip in Baton Rouge because there's a, now a Torchy's there. We went, but that again was after a loss. So we weren't able to really enjoy Torchy's as much as we normally do. Uh, this time we went for lunch and my gosh, probably the best Torchy's experience I've had for one reason, because apparently April is the month of the Tokyo Drifter taco. Mm. Uh, the Asian teriyaki taco, just outstanding. I think three of the four of us had it and all just raved, life-changing, the Tokyo Drift taco. It blew my mind. It made me wonder, Gray, why didn't you order this in 2019 when Tom got the Tokyo Drift? Although I feel like, were they different? Because the name is subtly changed. Remember, you ordered a Tokyo Drift in 19. This year was a Tokyo Drifter. Do you recall if there was a difference? I don't think so. I think that's what that's what it was before. Okay, well then in that case, I'm an idiot because good <laughs> Lord, it was so good. It was yes. it was truly the best taco I've ever had. So well done to you. Hats off, Torchies. You found a way yet again to steal the show on Tom's Hungry. Just exquisite. Yes. Outstanding stuff. And then as always, got a Republican and got a, a breakfast taco for the first time. I got a Wrangler and I, I thought that was really good. I'm glad that they serve the breakfast tacos all the time. Yes, the breakfast tacos. I got the one with uh, egg, chorizo, and cheese. That was very good. And then you always get the Republican. I always get the trailer park. I believe that's what it's called. Get it trashy mm. and solid as always. You know, Anytime you can put queso on a taco, just by saying, I would like queso on this taco, major A plus from Gray. <laughs> all about the queso. And also had the hillbilly queso at, uh, at uh, Torchies as well. So, Overall, out, outstanding experience at Torchies. Please come to Tuscaloosa. We have some restaurant spaces right now. They'd fit right in, and would it would be absolutely killer here. Um, and then I think the hidden gem, the surprise, on taco uh, portion of Tom's Hungry at College Station, the Sweets Paris Cafe. Did not see this one coming, but it was really good. Had the Le, Le Canadian crepe which was the crepe with maple syrup and sausage and eggs and cheese and just outstanding yeah i went to a place like this it was the sweet paris in houston and i remembered it i went like 2015 so it, it had stuck around in the old cranium and i was like guys trust me we're going to a crepe place you're gonna love it and also by the way i found out they have bottomless mimosas so filing that away for the next time we go when we're not working later that night mm -hmm. the la canadian just maple syrup enhances so many things it's so good with eggs and bacon if you've never done that but then the yeah. crepe was just so just expertly made which makes sense because it's a crepe place but everything about it was so good it put me in a great mood for the day only to have my soul crushed later that night <laughs> everything's fine I'm well and good, and I was full all day because of Sweet Paris Cafe. Put that yeah. on a pillow. 
<laughs> so yeah, so uh, overall, a really good Tom's Hungry experience in College Station. I will throw in one more. I don't remember the name of the place. It was by an airport, but wherever we went for dinner with the team. Is it the 12th Man Grill? It was 12-something Grill. Gate 12, maybe? Yeah, that's it. Okay. Yes, Gate 12. And we both got the same sandwich, Tom, which the sandwich was great, but it was the bread that was the story. Yeah, I was a little worried about it because it's jalapeno bread, and I'm not a big jalapeno guy. I don't like spicy, but it doesn't have the seeds. It's just the skins, so it's not spicy. Adds adds great flavor actually to the to the bun. So yeah, I thought that was really good. It quite quite the hit. Okay, I feel good about Tom's hungry in College Station, and also, you know, we've really only got like two more road trips left. I mean, Bowling Green, you know, that's coming up. But I don't think we're gonna have a chance to really go out to eat anywhere while we're there. Maybe for breakfast right. Wednesday. So Gainesville SEC tournament, and fingers crossed, knock on wood, OKC, and other than that. We're pretty much done, which means we need to start formulating our podiums for the end oh of the year, gosh. Tom. I have to go back and peruse back through the, the Facebooks and, and the posts that I've made to get the get the picks because there's a lot of really high contenders right now. You thought that the SEC regular season race was tight. Just oh wait gosh. until you hear the Tom's Hungry podium choices. And like you said, there's one we haven't even talked about. We can maybe poke, uh, talk about it next week because we won't have a Tom's Hungry, our trip to Sully's that we did when we went to Southern Miss. Yes, honestly, the gold medal contender that we never even discussed. Right. <laughs> Needless to say, we've eaten well this season, if nothing else. Yes, no matter what happens, just know we're always full in some capacity. <laughs> right. Full right, of something. Tom. Well, usually good food. Sometimes crap, but who knows? <laughs> Just depends on how talkative we're feeling. Okay, so we're going to be pretty chill. You know, we've got the game on Wednesday, but I don't think this weekend there's really going to be a ton for us to talk about. You know, SEC race feels pretty cut and dry. I might fire off a tweet or two if something crazy happens. Maybe we'll bring the sirens back. They've been taking a break the last few weeks. But just in case that people want to go through our accounts, where can the folks find you on Twitter, Tom? Find me at T Canterbury, R-T-R-C-A-N-T-E-R-B-U-R-Y on the Twitter. And I'm at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson, out of the box underscore pod for the show. And then, you know, hopefully you'll join us Wednesday night. If not, then see you in two weeks. But if you want to tune in for <laughs> Alabama, Western Kentucky, Tom, where can the folks go to listen? Well, you can listen if you're listening in Tuscaloosa over the air on 97.5. FM, and that's also available at nick975.com, the MeTV975 app, and also the Varsity app, all the different places that you can hear Alabama, Western Kentucky, and note a time change from the original schedule on that game coming up on Wednesday. Alabama at Western Kentucky, now a 5 o'clock first pitch, 4.50 airtime on the network. So that's been pushed back an hour. Uh, so Western Kentucky can get some more people to come to the game, which can going to be a problem. It's going, to, it's going to be, I'm sure if it's not sold out already, it will be very soon. Uh, so check that out again, five o'clock first pitch four fifty airtime. Great. Another hour added to when we would get home. Yeah. Not, not complaining because got, got one of the best jobs in the world. So that's right. We do, hey. do what you gotta do sometimes. Tom, thank you to the in the circle guys for joining us. I am very excited. You know, we do love this job, but that being said, I'm very excited to be able to take a weekend to breathe, reset, 
and get ready for the closing stretch because when we come back next week, oh boy, we are going to have a lot to discuss in this sport. We also might have a special episode to tease, so be on the lookout for that on social media. But Tom, I, th- I think this is a great time to get some R&R, you know, not just for us, but also for the team and reset, refocus, and get ready to finish off the season strong. Team, definitely going to do that this weekend. Uh, fans, I think everybody should do that, get recharged, and get ready to go for the postseason run because there's a lot of great stuff that's coming up. For my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Out of the Box Podcast. We sure hope that you find yourself in a pool or in a lake this weekend. Prop back, drink in your hand, watching softball, listening to the birds like we will be. We'll see you next time on the Out of the Box Podcast.